Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on Powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at Powerslam.tv. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, this is Scott Norton, and you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we will be reviewing the first night of the G1 Climax 29, answering your questions, and of course, covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all of our podcasts at socialsuplex.com. Go to socialsuitbucks.com to sign up to get all the podcasts and columns delivered directly to your email inbox. This episode of Keeping It Strong Style is brought to you by Powerslam.tv. Powerslam TV is an independent wrestling streaming service with over 5,000 hours of wrestling from companies across the world. Use promo code SOCIALSUPLEX to get your first month free of that service. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. Well, we are back here in the Strong Style Dojo after a great weekend in Dallas. G1 Climax opening weekend. Officially credentialed. You, you, you said we're the ace of podcasts, but you forgot to say we are officially New Japan Pro Wrestling credentialed <laughs> podcast. Yes, we will hold on to that 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 uh, terminology or what, however you want to say it. We will basically be that forever, forever, forever. <laughs> no, man. Um, you know, I took a nap when I got home from work today. I ate a cal a calorie rich. Meal in preparation to restore my strength, my fighting spirit. And I'm still tired, man. <laughs> I'm wiped. Like, uh, yeah, I feel like I just got done with those, uh, you know, 20 minutes with Kenta myself. Like, I am freaking wiped out. Uh, how are you feeling? Dude, man, it's... I'm just still just trying to, like, just recap just, like, everything that we went through this weekend from the press conference, the media Q&A... To the fan meetups, to 
being at the G1 Climax and just, just I think, everything. I think the big difference here is you didn't go to work today. Yeah. Oh, my God. What time did you wake up? Uh, Like 9, 9.30. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. So, literally, I was up at 6. Um, and just so you guys understand, like, oh, that's pretty early. Young boy, that's pretty early. Dude, we didn't get in till like, 2. And I probably didn't fall asleep till like, 2.30, maybe 3. So, like, I'm running on, like, 3 hours of sleep. Except for the nap that I just took, which is pretty great. Um... Yo, we almost didn't make it back. Yeah, we, we, <laughs> we both got delayed. Um, you, but you had a connection to Atlanta that you had to catch. Luckily, I was mine was this nonstop flight, but we were both delayed. Yo, they uh, told me they told me that they want me to lay down and do a J O B is what Delta was telling me. Yeah, so I had a connecting flight in Atlanta, and uh, if you guys know anything about the Atlanta airport, it is massive. And so I had a connecting flight in another terminal. And right before we're about to board the plane, or we're supposed to be, they're like, oh, you guys have been delayed, pushing you back another 40 minutes. And I was like, pushed? But you promised me. And they're like, you know, I was like, you promised me. You guys were going to push me. You guys were going (laughs) to use me. And they're like, that's not for you, baby. And I was like, oh, crap. So then I found, I realized, like, I started doing the math. And I was like, yo, when I get there, I'm only going to have, like, 20 minutes to make it to the gate, if, if that. And I was like... Then I started looking, and I was on the last flight out in Atlanta, and I was like, oh, my God. If I literally, like, don't get off this plane, like, as quickly as possible and, like, like hustle over there, I might get stuck in Atlanta all night. I try to, I try to talk to Delta about it, and they're like, well, there's nothing you can do. I was like, well, what if I get stuck there? They're like, well, that's too bad on you. I'm like, you guys don't accommodate. They're like, it's not mechanical. It's not in our control. I'm like, what What kind of company is this? Y'all going to leave me in a city, like, overnight, all night? And then um, they're like, well, try and tell your, your your crew on the plane that you need off early. They'll help you. I, just, I went and talked to the crew, and the crew's like, oh, we don't do that. It's against regulations. I'm like, I'm pretty sure you do, Kathy. <laughs> Kathy from Delta, badge number. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, luckily for me, um, I had some nice people. They, they they put me over. They let me get into the into the middle aisle. I freaking stormed out of there. I literally booked it as quickly as I possibly could. My plane, the plane going from Atlanta to Tampa, was a little bit delayed, and I made it. I made it like what, like a couple, like just ten, fifteen minutes after you got in. Yeah. How long were you delayed? Uh, so my flight was supposed to take off at nine fifteen, and didn't end up leaving until like nine fifty. That's not too bad. Yeah. You you got to, what, have Whataburger because of it, right? No, I had Whataburger before the uh, delay, actually. Mm, gotcha. Well, before we move on, here's the one thing. You know, it's been a few weeks. It's been something I've been wondering about, and I feel like we need to address this on the air. You haven't, like, said anything to applaud me for my bravery in my new hairstyle choices. And I, and I think the world wants to know, what do you think of the rat tail? I don't know. I, I, I'm digging it. For those of you that don't know, I am growing my hair out because I want that Shota Umino long, long hair look. I, uh, I'm trying to get to the point to where I can actually maybe uh, do a Tanahashi. You know, I want to put some braids in there, some feathers, some red and blue. And uh, you say you're digging it? Yeah, I'm, I'm digging it. I don't know if everybody else is, but yeah, I, I talked to some of the lady folk, and it's like it's hit or miss right now. Yeah. I don't know, but I feel like this knot is getting long. I'm gonna, you know, also st- I say stick with it. I'm gonna stick with it. Don't give up on it. Just 
I'm gonna get. I'm gonna. I'm gonna grow it really long and then shave my heads on the side. I'm gonna get that Archer. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. That Ronda Rousey. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh my gosh. But uh, let's let's talk about this week, man. We had a freaking whirlwind weekend. Yeah, man. So our weekend, uh, our G1 weekend started on Friday with the press conference that happened at the Bob Duncan Center. In Arlington, Texas. Uh, what a strange location for a press conference. But then you get in to the actual location, and you're like, "This, you know, conference center is like kind of nice, actually." Like, yeah, it was real nice inside. I mean, essentially, the Bob Duncan Center is pretty much like a, a recreational, like gymnasium. You're, you're run of the mill YMCA, if you will. Yeah, but I mean, it it was inside was great. Inside was perfect for what they're looking to do. Although it was really, really far away from the American Airlines Center. It was all the way in Arlington, if you guys are familiar with the, the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And uh, it was in the middle of a, some subdivision. So, like, I'm, like, we're just, like, rolling through there, me and my Uber driver. And I see, like, little kids on skates and, like, people jogging. And then, like, there's Renarita. And I'm, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Why? There, there's Red Shoes smoking a cigarette. I'm, like, what is happening? Like, <laughs> Why are, why are we in this, like, neighborhood, like, this cul-de-sac right now? This is freaking strange. But, yeah, it's just in the middle of nowhere. Yeah, but it was the middle of nowhere, but, you know, fans showed out. Uh, there was a nice, decent-sized crowd of uh, fans. Uh, when I got there, the line was pretty popping, especially they were, they were waiting to get some of that merch. I would say it was more than, like, a nice little crowd. I mean, by the by the time the conference started, I don't think they showed it on camera, but, I mean, the entire room where they had laid it out for the uh, general fans was, like, wall-to-wall standing room. Like, I don't know, 500 people? Maybe more? Yeah. And it wasn't that big a room. Like, yeah, it was it, really packed. It was packed. Uh, so, yeah, we got there. We got our credentials, got into the uh, media area. Uh, you know, saw some of our friends, like uh, Issa, made some new friends, like Emilio from Wrestle Rap, um, And we watched a press conference, watched, you know, a block, B block guys gave their speeches. Met a bunch of people. Yeah, made a, made a bunch of connects, and I'm sure I'm not going to try and list everybody because I know we'll forget. But we made a bunch of new friends, new connects um, in the media side of things. That's true. And you know, we're just sitting there, and I'm like, do 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 do. There's Dave Meltzer. Do 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 do. <laughs> this is just what we do now. This yeah. this is us. Us, Dave Garrett. Yeah. Wrestling Observer Radio. Yeah. Uh, our good pal Uncle Damon from the uh, Super J Cast. Yeah, shout out to Damon. Thank you know, shout out to him for hosting that uh that meetup that we got to go to. Uh drove us around Dallas a little bit, told us some uh some of his uh war stories and uh, yeah, we had, we had a good time. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we did the press conference and then uh after the press conference they had a uh separate uh you know media and press Q and A with uh, several of the wrestlers, and um, later this week, I mentioned on Twitter, later this week, we'll be dropping a bonus episode at the end of the week with audio from that uh, press Q&A. Josh and I were both in there. We both got to ask questions along with some of the other media guys in there. Um, So, absolutely. Um, Obviously, I don't want to go over... Every person's – if you guys listen, if you already watched the video on demand on uh, New Japan World, you've already seen the press conference. We don't need to really run that down point by point for you. Um, you're going to get to hear the entire media scrum. We were able to record all the audio. Jeremy Donovan 
being a real one down in the front. Uh, you know, when he didn't have a chair, he was squatting. Once those chairs came up, he started throwing Judas Effect elbows at people. <laughs> throwing V-triggers. Throwing V-triggers. He got himself, uh, you know, posted up. Um, I was I was hanging back. I was I was the hot tag guy. I was, I was staying posted up. I was getting lots of good photos. We're going to get those uh, photos posted up. You guys have already kind of got a sneak peek with those if you follow us on Twitter. Yep. But we've got a lot, a lot yeah, we've got a lot of pictures, a lot of video, and, uh, you know, I... Got to, I put all that audio together today, so it's about uh, two hours worth of audio. You know, we got. It only it, took like five and a half, six hours to get it all. <laughs> <laughs> and we have you know interviews with Okada, Kevin Kelly, Jay White, Tanahashi, Naito, Juice Robinson, Kenta. Um, so it's great. It's great stuff. Jay liked my question. Yeah, <laughs> you, you asked Jay like one of the only questions he liked. <laughs> <laughs> but um, before before we move on though, so like I said, we're not going to run down everything, but let's let's talk about our experiences in the press and our general impressions, how this all came off to you. Because I mean, this was our first time like officially doing anything related with this podcast in the press, and I mean, I thought it was pretty awesome. Yeah, it was a great experience, and you know, just being you know recognized to the point where we can be sitting in a section with a Dave Meltzer. And you know, guys from all the all these top big wrestling sites that we all get our news from. Uh, oh, Ken Mantel. Yeah, Ken Mantel. NJPW alumni, like a legend of the Texas scene. He booked world class freaking pro wrestling. <laughs> like that's incredible. And like he's just like, hey guys, I'm Ken Mantel. Here's my <laughs> card. And we're like, all right, thanks, Ken. He's uh, like, come check out the Hall of Fame. I'm yeah. Like, yes. But yeah, it's just great to be sitting along so those guys. I mean, it's a dream to be, you know, my, my dream would be to be like, you know, a Dave Meltzer type, just being paid to talk about wrestling and report on wrestling, you know, 24-7. Um, so just, and you know, New Japan was, you know, very, you know, rolled the red carpet out for us. You know, we had a special shirt for coming in, being a part of the media. Um, um, Axis as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, uh, Sean over at Axis and his, his PR team. The entire PR team. You guys did a stellar job. This came off like nothing less than big league, big time. Like they really had great accommodations for us, uh, kept us in the loop. I mean that 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 was not a rinky dink like operation by any means. Like yeah. that 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 was big time. Like and I was like, wow, this is really professional. You know, this is kind of touching on a question that we got from Amy from All Things Elite right here on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, and she says. You had access this year. What were some of the differences in your experiences as press as opposed to prior experience as fans? Well, um, I got to be a lot closer to Tanahashi than I'm used to. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, literally, we're at we're in the you know the press scrum, you know the the media Q and A, and these guys are literally right in front of us, and you know we can't we can't mark out. We got to contain ourselves, be you know professional broadcast journalists. Um, and for the event, we sat in the press section alongside all the other press, and you know we weren't supposed to be marking out or being super loud, which was really hard for me. <coughs> Jeremy, <laughs> uh, you know, during, at the very beginning, I was just so hyped I couldn't help it. But as the show got on, I, I tried to calm down a little bit. The, the, the funny thing is, like when we go to shows, uh, it's not even like just regular wrestling fans. It's our group specifically, like the group of fans that we go and watch wrestling with. We've conditioned it. We've conditioned ourselves to do certain things at, at shows that we just like do to like pop ourselves, or, or we don't hijack the show. It's not anything like that, but just things that we enjoy that we think are funny. And so, like, I'm sitting there, and like, right before the show starts, I forget the gentleman that was next to me, but he was the radio personality. 
Oh, from uh, the, the Texas radio, uh, like a Texas sports talk radio. Yeah, he 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 looks over me. He's like, you know, like he's like burying some of the other uh, press members. He was like, you know, there's this old adage they say, no fans in the press box. He's like, I still stick by that. <laughs> and I think I think what he's saying is like, don't be a freaking mark. Yeah. And then the next thing you know, like the show starts, and Jeremy's like, Tana. Well, Tanahashi was in the No, he wasn't show. out yet. <laughs> but like, that's just my imperson- impress- impersonation. But no, you were—you really weren't that bad. But like, it—it it was hard even for me to kind of like um, reprogram reprogram myself to be like, okay, I really am a huge fan of this, and I really enjoy what we're watching. I'm so excited, but I can't like stand up and like do the like do all the chants. Right, and we can't get loud. Normally. Me and you, we normally have headaches yeah. by how much we are screaming and chanting and getting into the show, and we, we couldn't do that here. <laughs> yeah, no, but it was it was good. It actually helped me uh, be a little more sober-minded and like vigilant about covering what we were there to cover, and so we kind of treated it like a job, you know? Uh, and, I mean, we had incredible seats. Yeah. Incredible that's... seats uh, for, the, for the actual show. Yeah, our seats for the G1 Climax were just amazing, like... Probably best seats I've ever had any wrestling show I've been to. Yeah, but it was a, it was a totally different vibe, you know. Um, just not chanting, not cheering, not standing up. Um, you know, just kind of like clapping respectfully, and like uh, I think at the end of it, almost everyone in the press was getting into those last couple matches because the crowd was so on fire. But it's a totally different experience. But yeah, and it's, yeah, just great. And also to you, um, shout out to you know Joe Lanza. We got to talk with him a little bit. Um, it's always great getting to chat with Joe and catching up with him and yeah, just hanging out with Joe and so Damon many, and so many like and it was cool, like people that were photographers, people that were bloggers, people that were columnists and you know, it wasn't just podcasters, radio personalities, right. television personalities, mm-hmm. people from the news media, um like the the local news affiliates were there. So I mean there was it was everybody. Like it was yeah. really cool. And it's even cool just you know, you meet people and it's like, Oh, who are you from? Oh, we're uh, keeping a strong stuff. Oh, I, I've heard about you guys. I've seen you guys. Uh, so yeah, that's and yeah, it, it did help the show expand our profile because a lot of those groups will probably wind up working together in the future. A lot of them followed us and, and have been corresponding with us over the past few days. So uh I would say it was a great um you know, a great experience, and I thought you did a really awesome job, just like handling the audio and handling the tweeting. You guys know I'm not great at, at Twitter and that sort of <laughs> thing, so most of what you saw online was Jeremy kind of like keeping you guys in, in uh, you know, in the loop. That one thing, that one photo you sent of um, Okada, like, got a lot of traction. Yeah, that tweet. Uh, I sent a tweet out after Okada beat Tanahashi. You know, best pro wrestler in the world. Uh, period. Kind of making fun of the whole Seth Rollins thing. And that blew up like over 200 likes and mad retweets on that and everybody chiming in on that. So that was cool. But I would say, you know, Amy, some of the biggest differences, you know, you can't drink really in the press box. <laughs> you can't really chant and cheer and that sort of thing. And, you know, on the during the, the media day, we had to be kind of like dressed up and professional. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like we got face to face interactions with the best wrestlers in the world like all these guys that like we cover week after week and admire they're like right there and we're we're able to talk with them like directly it's really really cool yeah you know you mentioned like the audio uh getting the audio i have to give a shout out to my man tyler johnson over at cole media here in south tampa uh you know good friend of mine he he's the one who hosts socialsuplex.com on his server and he's always helped me out hooked me up with uh the audio gear here 
for this trip, and you know, it's always always our social suplex stuff. He's supporting and hooking us, hooking us up. So shout out to Tyler if you're in the Tampa area and you need some video work done or website stuff, hit up Cole Media. Uh, and and the coolest thing with all this is like what we were doing was work. But it never felt like that. Like it, it felt like this is something that we really, really, really enjoy doing. And I, I almost felt like I was scamming New Japan a little bit. Like I'm like, oh my god, you guys are just gonna let me talk to Okada? Like it's <laughs> crazy. But um, but no, I mean that's that's it, it, it's so awesome after you know these last couple of years putting in this work and getting recognized as like a viable media outlet for you know this product that we love and cover and that's that's like so that's like such a big honor you know it's really cool and i mean there was nothing from like the guys at access or anything to be like oh you're just like a podcast or like you know dave Meltzer's, you know dave and you guys are this little thing it was like everyone was on the same level yeah we were all treated equally and it was really great yeah it was great um had a question here from uh sir sam from lop he says, how was the barbecue? You were in Texas. Well, unfortunately, Sam, uh, we did not get any barbecue uh, when we were in Texas. We did eat some great food, though. Uh, went to that uh, brunch place, the Pinstripes. Had a great brunch there. Yeah, we were hanging out with my family. They were kind of, like, feeding us a bit. And uh, we did go out Friday night with a bunch of people from, like, the wrestling community. And we went to some taco place. Yeah, we went to El Come Taco. Oh, yeah, uh, El Come Taco. Floyd was- Johnson Jr. from All Things Elite was with us. Is uh, his Around the Ring co-host, uh, Ryan Aaron. We had uh, Damon and some of the other people from the uh, Super J-Cast meetup that was there. Shout out to our boy Esteban. Yeah, Esteban, you know, president of the unofficial North American uh, New Japan fan club. He was there chilling with us also. Really good tacos. Yeah, tacos Yeah, tacos of fire. Had some flan. That was really good. Uh, Sam also says, who was the best guy to interview for your press work? Um, so, I mean, we didn't have one-on-one time. We were all in one room, and the wrestlers would call on the media to ask some questions. Yeah, that's the one thing. I wish it would have been expressed to us what the format would have been, because they did. They gave us a list of who was expected to be available um, for the media scrum, but they didn't specify whether it would be, like, just we kind of thought it might be like us and a couple other members talking to each individual at different times, but it was actually closer to those um, press conferences you see post-match on NJPW World where they bring the guy out, sit him out, sit him down at a table with the backdrop, and everyone asks some questions like it's a press conference. So that's kind of what it was. We weren't – it wasn't just us. It was like you're, when you listen to the audio this week, you're going to hear – Everybody from the right. You're gonna hear Damon asking questions. You're gonna hear uh, Emily Pratt from Uproxx asking questions. You're gonna hear me and Josh asking questions. Um, you know everybody that was in there. You're gonna be hearing PW Ponderings, Fightful.com, mm-hmm. like all these guys. Um, so yeah, but who do you who did you think came off during the media scrum? Like who did you think came off the best? I'm trying to think. Um, I thought Kenta came off pretty good. Yeah, I thought uh, Kenta came off really well. Uh, Okada and Tanahashi, of course, they were good. I really, I mean, I, I mean, the truth is everybody did come off well. Um, um, Ishii was really hard, though. Ooh, Ishii was the worst because you know he, the translator would ask him the question, and then Ishii was like giving like these 
one word answers or he wasn't the translator i don't think was a lot of times he wasn't talking into the mic either he would just talk directly to the translator and then she'd talk back to us like he wasn't speaking in the mic right he'd be super low and you'll you'll hear that on the audio he's like one of the the lowest talking people out of all there yeah he was he was not comfortable uh doing that to be honest with you but um zach was great yeah zach was great uh, Jay was great. Jay was great. He was just annoyed by all the dumb questions he was getting asked. I kind of think the two best guys during that media scrum, in my opinion, though, were probably Naito and Tanahashi. Mm, yeah. They just they know how to play up to a crowd like that really well, you know? Yeah. And kind of like making the people laugh and keeping it light, but knowing when to get serious. And it's it's so strange because as a media personality asking them questions you kind of because they treat their kayfabe so seriously you're asking them serious questions but you're doing it in a kayfabe way Mm -hmm. to keep up with the storylines and things that they're that they're doing and when they give you answers they're kind of serious but they're kayfabing you for sure right they're they're maintaining their kayfabe right and like you know it's not like a um i think that's different when you talk to like the like when you see like the guys from like AEW. They're kind of out of character when they're doing their press afterwards. It seems like mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how much of that. It's a little similar. I'm not saying they totally break kayfabe, but they definitely do. Yeah, and I, th- I think for them because they're in an interesting position. While they are like executives yeah. along with wrestlers, so it's like when they're getting interviewed, it's like they have to. I think they feel like the balance kind of both of those hats. And I just mean the AEW guys in general. From like what we've seen, they yeah. seem to be. There seems to be a difference between their characters and then their media personalities afterwards. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you talk to um, Ishii, for instance. You're trying to talk to him about how good his matches were, and he's like, what do you mean good? I lost. <laughs> it's not good. There's no such thing as a good match if I'm not winning. Like, right. I want to win. Like, that's kind of their attitude. So they really stay in character all throughout, which is I, – I appreciated that. Yeah, that was great. Um, as far as the actual press conference, what were your general just over- – like overarching thoughts on that uh, I thought the press conference I thought it came off really good um, we do have a question here about the fans I think that's maybe what, a good talking point and this comes from Reddit user why did you do that bro he said what do you guys think of uh, the way the fans acted during the G1 press conference I don't mind them holding conferences in America but it should honestly be press only and you know I, I, gotta, s- I gotta disagree to be honest with you I see why I, I see why they're saying that but I don't agree with it yeah, I think it should be open to the fans, but at the same time, I do think fans need to realize, like, they're not there to get themselves over. You know, you had moments when Osprey was up there, and one loud guy in the back was trying to, you know, Osprey, you suck, or whatever he was chanting and trying to bury Osprey. Yeah, I think they were, like, bringing up Raw and stuff or something like that. I right. Can't, we, uh, it was kind of hard to hear. Right, and, you know, certain guys that would come up, uh, they were trying, you know, boo them or whatever, and I get that, but at some point, it's like, all right, you're not there to get yourselves over. Like, you're here to hear what these guys have to say. Well, one thing I will say with that, there was a lot of new Japan fans, like like diehards. Mm-hmm. But there was also a lot of like new fans, people that maybe are peripheral watchers or casual fans. They don't necessarily they don't know all the the um, like decorum and like the respect that these guys are treated with in Japan. So it's a little bit different. I do feel like went one place where they might have dropped the ball a little bit. They had a lot of like media people there, like um, people working for New Japan. 
they could have definitely like had rules laid out for them like right. on how to act or you know and they didn't really do that they didn't yeah. and and that wouldn't even that's not even something that's uncommon in any sort of press conference you know right. a lot of press conferences that are open to crowds they'll have like people with signs being like you know only cheer at this time or don't do this like almost like a television show production right yeah i think if they were worried about that they could have definitely done that but the reason I think it was great that they did have the fans there, this is about expanding into America, and you want to have as much access to these stars as possible. And I don't think it would have been great to just do meet and greets and then have a closed-door press conference that everyone has to watch on, on um New Japan World or, or what have you. I feel like it was great that those people got to be yeah, there for it. They brought a lot of energy to it, and it was a good kind of sensing of seeing like, who's popular with the Western, Western crowd. Um, you know, guys like Sonata and Evil were getting huge pops when they were coming out. Bro, that was eye-opening to me. I, I know how popular LIJ is, but, you know, sometimes, and I to me it's like as a group, as a unit, they're very popular, but then in the sum of their parts, I don't always realize, like, Evil's really over. And like Sonata is really, yeah. Really Sonata over. got a huge pop when he made his entrance into the press conference, coming in looking like a Colombian drug lord. <laughs> My God, man's wearing fuzzy, fuzzy slippers. <laughs> but that's one thing I liked about it. Every guy that came out, for the most part, looked like a star. Mm-hmm. They treated it very seriously. Everybody had some had a different type of promo, said something different, had a different look. Um, it came off like big time. Yeah. Yeah, like really big time. It reminded me of like the UFC press conferences that they do um, to like announce like the future shows that are coming up, and I really thought that was great. Um, I do think they should have had them face off though. Oh, so like for their first round matches? Yes, I I always enjoy like I don't think it's rocket science. I I don't understand why like more wrestling companies don't do that because mm-hmm. all MMA and all boxing companies do it, and so that would have been like. Can you imagine how good those pictures would have looked? Yeah, that would have been great. I think probably because the press conference is like supposed to be hyping up the whole tournament and not really focusing on night one. But since we were there, night one's the next day. It, it probably would that have. That would have made sense. It to would me. have elevated the, the hype for the matches that they had done the done I, the face offs. Even if it wasn't just part of the press conference, even if they'd like just done that afterwards as a way to build for the first show, that would have been mm-hmm. really cool. Yeah, but um. Overall, I thought that the press conference was great. A lot of really good talking points. If you guys, if you guys haven't seen it yet, definitely check it out. It's up on New, New Japan World. I think you can watch it on YouTube as well. And I think they have the um, the translations. Or there was a translator there. Yeah. Yeah. So it's real accessible this year. And uh, real quick, who do you think was best dressed? Because that matters. These guys were looking <laughs> fresh to death. Let's see. Um... Best dress. I, re- I really liked uh, Zack Saber's suit. Zack was fitted. My boy was fitted for sure. I liked uh, Ishii's suit also. Yeah, you you liked his suit. I thought it was nice, but like it was. I don't know. Like I, I'm more I mean, like you that. said, it was a kind of old manish. Yeah, I'm I'm big into suits, and it wasn't like I liked the material, but it wasn't tapered enough for my liking personally. Mm. Let me pull up a photo of because you you posted a photo of the um yeah. Of everybody, but yeah, uh, yeah. I think Saber might be might be the one I'm going with. I mean, Tanahashi looked pretty good too. He, you know what though? He wore old man shoes and had and and had white 
like ankle socks and was kind of a little baggy. Um, just look, I thought Jay, I thought Jay White had a had a was yeah yeah fresh. Jay White was was slick. Um, Juice looked good too. Freaking um, Will Osprey came in there fitted like like so fitted like I was like holy crap. <laughs> uh, I gotta go. You know what? I gotta go with Okada though. Like looking like like the 1980s NWA World Heavyweight Champion, just like classic tapered look. Like he looked like a million bucks, and everybody else came in. Like this is a cool thing. Like you know, we were talking to my family, trying to explain to them what we do, and we we're showing them the press conference. So like this does not look like wrestling. This looks like an MMA fight. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of the idea. Yeah. So really, really, really cool, cool time. But um, let's talk about. The show that we're here to talk about. Yes, G1 Climax, night one. And the first thing I think we need to talk about and get it out of the way is the attendance. So, you know, since WrestleMania weekend, it's been reported about how slow these ticket sales were and just how how slow the tickets are moving, just how not great the numbers were. Um, it did kind of pick up towards the end, but not, you know, quite what they wanted. What was that thing that we are hearing about the fan club? Because we, we'd heard a really weird report that, like, we hadn't been able to substantiate. We were waiting to see if it panned out. It was something about, like, they had a bunch of reserved floor seats for the fan club. That Yeah, there was some New Japan fan club that were not counted in the paid attendance. Well, I'll tell you what. Like, I didn't see a lot of Japanese people there from the fan club or, or like, Tokyo residents. I just didn't. Did you? At, from where I was, no. I didn't talk. I, we talked to a lot of people. I didn't yeah. talk to any... I, there was not like a huge contingency of fans. I would, if there was, I would say it's like one to two percent of the building. Yeah. Like that was almost exclusively a traveling domestic crowd. Mm-hmm. So those reports that we had kind of heard, those rumors, I don't think they were. I don't think they were that viable, to be honest. So yeah, I heard people be like Dave Meltzer's off on these numbers, and I'm, I'm not trying to cop for Dave, but I think he was pretty accurate because he was saying it was going to be. Around four paid and maybe around five night of the the show, and that's about what happened. Yeah. So the final attendance number that's being reported is uh, four thousand eight hundred and forty six, and um, I pulled some of the other U.S. shows that they did with no Ring of Honor involvement to kind of get a good comparison of what these numbers were. So they had the Strong Style Evolve show, uh, the Walter Pyramid that did like four thousand three seventy two. The G1 special in San Francisco, also the Cow Pals, it had 6,333 there. And then uh, Fighting Spirit Unleashed, which was back at the Walter Pyramid, did uh, 3,007 in the attendance. Well, I think that I got to, I'll say a couple things. Um, from, from who we interfaced with, the one thing that they did say is they said, New Japan was not thrilled with these numbers. They were hoping to draw about 10. That was their original goal. That being said, they weren't upset at the same time because they were still very they were still profitable. Right, with the, the Mark Cuban connection. I'm sure they either didn't pay for the building or they paid a very discounted rate. I got to imagine they probably did. It's the the American Airlines Center. I don't know what they paid, but I mean, they were still profitable with this number. It wasn't yeah. uh it wasn't a bad number for them. Um but yeah, it's interesting because uh, WWE was just there for Raw, right? Yeah, they, I think they did about ten. Yeah, a little under ten. Um, and there were people saying like, well, maybe that was going to burn out the local market. 
But to be honest with you, this this crowd is very different from. Uh, yeah, I don't think Raw had anything to do. No, uh, I don't any either. effect. You know, honestly, I think it's it's you know AEW. It's 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 the elite. Yeah, I mean, it's that and it's New Japan. If this is New, it, I'm not gonna bury this entirely, but they could have definitely done a much better number if they had marketed this different. Like this is their own fault, right? You know. A lot of people, they're planning out their shows and vacations months in advance. New Japan didn't have talents or cards announced in a timely fashion. Other shows are coming up. You know, I'm sure, you know, people are choosing between Double or Nothing. I mean, it was WrestleMania weekend. All these big shows are happening, and people have to get flights and hotels and um, take time off from work, find people to watch pets and all this stuff. It's the, like... The, the, big, the big three... Drawing weekends for wrestling domestically here in America, double or nothing, all out, and WrestleMania weekend. When you and those are big, big traveling markets, and people are paying a lot of money for those, and so you're kind of drawing on a lot of that fan base to hopefully fill this out. Plus, with the US visa situation that happened earlier this year, plus with them losing the elite earlier this year, right? I mean, the elite was. The core of their U.S. expansion, Kenny Omega was supposed to be the guy that was kind of leading the charge uh, the U.S. market. They put all their eggs in that, that elite basket, and then that basket left, and we, we're seeing the effects of that. Uh, yeah, and then the other thing is the way that they announced the shows. Um, for better or worse, there's some people who say, you know, who are like, this is how it has to be done because it's the way they run their, their business. And I get that. I'm not I don't, I'm not sitting here saying I have all the answers. Mm-hmm. Um but on the other hand, it's really hard to draw a to draw a large audience when people are already spending money on these other shows and they already know what they're getting and there's more hype. Plus, it's shows for the group of wrestlers that you lost that mm-hmm. that were supposed to be your draw and and clearly are still drawing. Um, yeah, and I think I think it just has a lot to do with them not getting the cards announced quick enough. Promotion wasn't done properly for this show. I mean, they they still did promote well. They did a good job promoting, but the the numbers a clear indication that it could have been much better because this was an incredible card. But we didn't know about the actual card till what uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And by that point, you know, if if you're Joe Schmo and you're trying to make a decision and you already went to Double or Nothing and then you're, you you kind of know what you're getting with All Out, you went to WrestleMania weekend. It's kind of hard to swing another another traveling show like this to to the Dallas market. Um, they, they may be better off in the future going to some other uh, markets that are a little more proven. Although I think that there's a this show did really well. It was still a really great show, and the crowd that was there was not affected by the low number whatsoever. Right, and that kind of fits into our next question uh, from Sir Sam. He says, how empty was the arena actually, and how much did it affect the atmosphere? On broadcast, on broadcast, the crowd noise seemed good. We got in early, actually. We got in trouble because we ended up in the <laughs> arena when we weren't supposed to, which was funny. Oh, also, we've. Uh, do you want to tell them who we, our the connection we made? Yeah, so um, you're here at the beginning of this show. A drop from Scott Norton. Flash. Yeah, so we um when we were not supposed to be in the building, so we got there a little bit early, but they they're the ones who let us in. Uh, we did run into Scott Norton. He's promoting his uh, new book and talked with him, got his number. Uh, we will be scheduling an interview with him in the future. Fans of Classic Wrestling, look out for that. Yeah. But, yeah, it was awesome uh, meeting Big Scott. 
Yeah, we met Big Scott, but um, we got to we actually ended up in the sections above the tarping, and so we got to see just how many of those seats were tarped off. And I mean, it was quite a few. And then in the building, um, when the show started, there was a lot of empty seats, and I was I was worried about that. But the the lines for the merch were insane. Dude, those merch lines were ridiculous. Ridiculous. The, I, I overheard workers in the American Airlines Center saying they'd never seen anything like it. They're like, I've never seen lines like this for merchandise. And I mean, so literally more than half the building was empty throughout almost all the tag matches. Like I went to the bathroom um, right before the actual G1 main card started. And there were still people in the merch line, but it was just ending. So there was a, there was a lot of people who missed the entire undercard due to the fact that they're in the merch lines. But then, and so I was expecting things to fill out more, but then once the merch lines emptied and almost everyone was in the arena, I was like, oh, there's still quite a few empty Yeah, seats. dude, those, you know, those sections kind of like towards the left by the stage and then uh, further right by the other side, well, that, really empty. Well, that's one thing I do want to address. It looked really bad on the uh, television and in, like for those sections behind the stage because they were so empty. They were not selling tickets for those sections. Like that was not like a law a load. They never intended to sell tickets for that. What they could have done, like what Ring of Honor does in situations like that, and probably WWE's, they tarp that section off. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I don't know if it wasn't set up for that because that their tarping seemed to be very particular. That section was not for sale. It was just not tarped off. Mm-hmm. So I think to a lot of fans, it just came off looking bad. Yeah, it did look bad. You know, I, I was able to watch back. Um, the tournament matches today, and yet certain certain camera cuts when they cut to that empty spot, it's like, ugh. But they were not selling those tickets, right? You know, what I mean, I don't know. It doesn't bother me too bad because it's like I remember watching like Kerry Von Erich and Ric Flair in Texas Stadium, and it's one of the largest drawing crowds of of that time period. But they're in, a, in such a large stadium that there's lots of empty seats and. You know, it's still impressive with what they did. This right. was it, it, it did. It, it, you were saying it did not affect the atmosphere. The crowd that no. was there, they were hype. They were they were there to witness New Japan Pro Wrestling, and from the opening bell to uh, the closing Okada speech, they were in it one hundred percent, and were just they. It was a lively crowd, full of energy, and they really uh, helped that show out. As far as crowd noise and crowd interaction, what were your thoughts? Because I had some conflicting feelings about that at different times. Well, I thought, um, you know, I thought the crowd was great overall. With with it being such a small... I agree. With it it being such a smaller number than what they were expecting and, you know, not being 10,000, I thought the energy of the crowd was great and really lifted up the matches, lifted up the whole show. So I thought they did great there. And I know we've been talking about this um, yesterday and a little bit today. There were some crowd chants um, that kind of felt out of place at certain certain matches and certain points, just because of the way American fans are tradition and how we would normally um, react or cheer at an indie sh- indie show. And that that's kind of what you were. Well, I don't know. I, I'm kind of torn on it because there's like there's this one part of me that's like I want to go to a New Japan show and see the authentic New Japan presentation. So I would even like love to see like they didn't do the video at the beginning of the show where they're like this is allowed, this is not allowed, this is how you can act. Like don't stand, don't be drunk, you know, don't don't act belligerent. They usually do that. They didn't do that at this show. 
they kind of just let us be American fans, mm-hmm. which was fine. Um, and I agree. I thought the energy of the crowd was really high. They were very excited for everybody involved. So, I mean, this was a diehard fan base. But there were kind of like some chants where it was like they weren't reading the matches super well. And they were like kind of just doing a lot of indie chants because like the, this is awesome or, you know, the fight forevers. And I'm like, it's a 30 minute time limit. They're not going to fight forever. Right. <laughs> fight forever. Um, or like in the Kenta and Kota Ibushi match, they're, the, do, they're doing dueling chants while Kenta is punishing Abushi, we're supposed to be getting sympathy on Abushi and kind of rallying behind Abushi, and we're cheering for. That was the match that bothered me the most with the chance, to be honest with you, because sitting in the crowd, I'm paying very a lot of attention to the story they're telling, and Kenta is getting about ninety percent of it, and the people are reacting to it like they they they're rejecting the story a little bit mm-hmm. because they're they they want it to be an epic, so they. I wouldn't call it the crowd trying to get themselves over, but I would say that they're trying to control the the tone of the match, and right. they, they want to turn it into this epic war, and Ibushi's getting hurt, and I'm like, you guys should be trying to get behind Ibushi if that's what you're doing. Instead, they're treating it like it's uh, one of those classic, like like the Nakamura-Sami Zayn match, right. where it's like a 50-50 war, and they want it to be that, but it's, but it's, not, it's that. not that, and yeah. so they're not reading it, and so I felt like that was a little disrespectful. But you know, at the same time, I had I I did have some thoughts. I'm like, am I being too gatekeepery in the way I feel about this? Because you know, we don't do this when um, companies go to Europe and especially the UK, and they have the like football chants and everything, and we love it and mm-hmm. we think it's such an awesome environment. And I do wonder. I'm like, well, then you know, you have the, the way the Japanese fan base treats wrestling, and we think that that's awesome. Do you think that when they come to America, they want this kind of reaction because that's what's hot when when a promotion is doing well, you know, at a show or a show is is popular? Maybe they do. And you know, like when they do the um, Honor Rising tour, the Cork and crowd is doing American chants. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, they're doing the This is Awesome. They're doing the Dueling Chants. So, you know, maybe that's that's what they expect now from Americans. That's They're totally fine with getting that reaction now. The other thing, too, is like I feel like if it was just – that certain fan base that's like me that wants them to be respectful and do stuff like Japan, that's great, but that's never going to get them huge business here. I think it's maybe a good sign that there are these other fans who are less familiar with the product who are doing the chance because they're excited. Yeah. And and maybe that means more people who are normally not as exposed to the product are are getting exposed and that might be a good thing you know what i mean yeah the, so, the so chance, was, that's why i was that's why i said i was a little conflicted on it the chance that or not really chance is more just hecklers really that annoyed me was again during the kenta match when they were telling him to go back to 205 live or hey drake mavericks calling you and just doing all these little quick like wwe 205 jabs at him one thing I will say is this: um, even though there were some indie chants and things like that, mm-hmm. this was not like a general indie crowd because in most crowds, the crowds do try to really get themselves over, and for the most part, this was a really respectful crowd. Um, there were hecklers, but I'd say if there was like forty-eight, forty-nine hundred people in there, there's like fifty to like seventy-five hecklers who just happened to be really loud, right? And it, it became uncomfortable when people would do that because in most crowds, you do that and you're being that dick. And everyone's like, fuck that guy. And that, that chant starts that, you know, yeah. the F that guy chant starts and we shut that guy up. 
this crowd didn't want to do stuff like that. No, I saw a couple people shutting people down. I saw them shutting it down, but it wasn't like the whole crowd w- wanted to detract from the match and start focusing on the guy right, that's yeah. like being like belligerent or stupid. So it was a little uncomfortable, but um, those those guys were the outliers for the most part. Yeah. This crowd and then Dude, when when the main few matches start, especially the Tanahashi and Okada match, like the appreciation of that fa- of the fans and like that moment, that was like one of the craziest moments I've ever seen live. Like I was like, holy crap, this is special. Yeah, that yeah yeah, dude. I think we like, we tweeted out, man. The atmosphere here is crazy, and it was, man. Like you, I, you felt like it was just magic. Something special was about to happen. That's you know all thanks to this crowd. We had another question from uh, Life Is a Dragon uh, via the New Japan Reddit. And he said, do you think New Japan will try to run this venue again in the future? Obviously, ticket sales weren't great, but they're st- they still have the access slash Mark Cuban relationship uh, with better promotion and the goodwill of previously, uh, previous positively received shows. Can New Japan eventually turn Dallas into a hot market for them? Or are they better off just running shows on the East Coast, LA and Chicago, cities that you know New Japan, AEW, and Ring of Honor have already run, run successfully in the past? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, life is a dragon. I mean, obviously, with the Mark Cuban connection, I'm sure he's going to want to bring uh, New Japan back there. And like we mentioned, you know, there are some things they can do on the promotion side to um, kind of you know get the card out there, get talent out there. Um, you know, they could you know start pushing more than one guys in talent, have multiple guys that are kind of being pushed to the front of the Western expansion. But I do think. Um, they should be kind of focusing on some of these hot wrestling cities in which we're going to see them be doing that soon, you know, focusing on those that East Coast, that Northeast area. We've seen the success that they normally have in the L.A., the Long Beach area, um, San Francisco area. Uh, well, they've, they've run Long Beach for the majority of their U.S. shows. Mm-hmm. Um, the shows that they've done outside of those markets, like in San Francisco, the ones that they're doing for the J-Cup with Tacoma, Washington... The stuff they did earlier in the year for that that early Fighting Spirit Unleashed tour. Yeah, you mean the New Beginning? Or, or yeah. yeah, the New Beginning in USA tour. Although they had visa issues, those tickets still sold really, really quick because they were in newer markets. Yeah. And so I think in order for them to keep people involved and interested, you can't... I don't think that they can just rely on big traveling crowds. Right. They have to um, go places where people can't travel, but maybe... Like, for instance, last year when they did CEO with Kenny's group, that Daytona crowd had a lot of people in on the East Coast that would never go to Long Beach. You know what I mean? And um, that's kind of what I think – we're going to get into the news later, but they're obviously running a, another tour, and I think that's a good move. But I do think that they had – we talked to so many people that were at this Texas show that were from, like – other parts of Texas, from Oklahoma, from Louisiana. Louisiana. So, I mean, it wasn't like every. There were people from all over, but the, a lot of it was people from that region of the country. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, the show was received very well, and they liked the... I mean, the arena was great, and I think that they can draw a better crowd next time promoting... Given that they promote it properly and they keep doing what they're doing, I think they can do better. I hope they do go back there, actually. Yeah. Um, so now let's uh, move on and talk about the actual card now. So, you know, things kicked off with a non-title match. The champions, the Gorillas of Destiny, uh, defeating Rapungi 3K, 6 minutes and 55 seconds. Really, uh, really fun match. Lots of energy. 
Um, the the crowd was so into God, dude. Yes, God. They've got you know the whole Bullet Club block party in New York. Their popularity in the states has been good, and the crowd was really into them. You know, as soon as that you know firing squad engage hit on their music, crowd was losing their minds. And they were, the Punky Three K had a good uh, crowd reaction as well. Uh, crowd was really into both of these teams. It was a good opener, great way to kick the show off. Um, you know, the champions, Gorilla Destiny, they um, pretty much weren't playing around with Punky 3K here and pretty beat them. Not playing games. <laughs> you know, kind of dusted them off pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they dusted them boys up. But, um, you know, I was very excited for this because you essentially had right now the top team of the uh, heavyweight tag division taking on the top team of the juniors. Um, I didn't expect Punky 3K to win here. Um, you know, that... That's one of those things where, like, when we talk about the possi- possibility of it happening, it's more like wishful thinking. Right. It's kind of like the fans who are like, "Do you think Zach's gonna take over? You know, Suzuki, Suzuki Goon and turn his uh, Saber Goon? Like, that's all wishful thinking. But it, there's nothing to indicate that that's really happening. But um, I expected, I was hoping for, anyways, a more competitive match. Yeah, I was hoping for a little bit more back and forth, a little bit more of a Punky 3K, you know, getting quick, like, school uh, school boys roll-ups. Nah, they, they, they job these boys out. They treat them like some some young lions, and uh, they beat them pretty decisively, pretty quick. Yeah, they hit the, uh, the super uh, power bomb on you. But there wasn't a lot of backstory to this. This was just kind of a showcase match. And so I think down the line, there's always the possibility that maybe we see more from these guys and they probably have a better match. But they gave them like six, seven minutes and it was super quick. The crowd was really into it. It was a good opener and uh, G.O.D., you know, uh, you know, win. Yeah, and I went about uh, three stars on this. That's probably about right. The next up, we had Ren Narita teaming up with Jeff Cobb. They defeated the team of Shota Umino and Tomohiro Ishii, uh, seven minutes and 30 seconds. And man... This was a great way to get you ready for Cobb and Ishii this weekend. Those guys are just going back and forth uh, with each other. Yep, I uh, I think when I w- when we were previewing this match, I think we all chose uh, the Ishii team just because I figured Narita being the you know more junior of the Young Lions, he would probably be the guy to take the fall. But then it makes sense that Jeff Cobb, coming off of that big loss on Ring of Honor. This being his first uh, G1, he probably needed the the undercard tag win, and we should have probably thought of that. That that makes more sense in the long run, right? And and sometimes too, the guy it's not all the time, but sometimes the guy who wins the tag match ends up losing the singles match. Sometimes, yeah. Or even if they're not going to lose the next match, the person who's less hot, who needs to be built up a bit, they 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 need that win to kind of build some momentum. So that made sense why Jeff Cobb should have won here. I don't know why I didn't think of that at all. But all, I will say this, and I think you would agree, this was by far the best undercard tag match of the night. Yes, this was Yeah, this was awesome. It and, was awesome. If, and, it's a big recommend. If you haven't seen it, you need to see it. You know, Narita and Umino on opposite sides going at each other and going against Ishii and Cobb was great. And um, you can, there's another thing you can tell it's a diehard crowd because they were really getting behind Umino's offense, especially when he's in there with Cobb and eventually hit that big suplex and the whole crowd popped and was like really behind Umino so that was great yeah we had a shout out this week because we were putting over the young lines on this show yeah from uh John Snowden yeah uh but uh coming down to the end here as as featured on socialsuplex.com <laughs> I don't even know if he remembers that he that he's done an interview with us or not but if you're listening 
You've been you've been here before. <laughs> right. Not but not specifically with us. Not not with us. But uh with another show that used to be on the network. But uh yeah, that was really cool to see that. But um yeah, I really, really, really I I just I loved this match. I thought it was great. Um I thought everybody played their roles really well. Super hard hitting, super fast paced. The crowd was so into it and yeah. I'm so hyped for Goto and uh and Ishii. We actually and again we saw them um at that WrestleCon Super Show in New Orleans, in yeah. New Orleans, yeah, that was the first time we saw these two guys go at it. And I mean, the, uh, they did the same spot in this match where they they stood and traded the forearms for like ever until the crowd started <laughs> popping. Yeah, but they went even longer in um, New Orleans. In New Orleans, remember like uh, freaking. I think Rich was with us, and he was timing it. Oh yeah, and it was like three minutes <laughs> yeah. or like four minutes, and we're like, holy crap. <laughs> So yeah, I I love that stuff, and um, that match is gonna be awesome. Yeah, Cobb uh, hits Umino with the tour of the islands to get the win for his team. Uh, I went about three and a half on that uh, best match on the undercard. Really, really, really cool tag match. Like I I loved this. Um, the next match of the night, we got the team of Hiroki Goto teaming with uh, Yoshi Washed. Hashi, <laughs> and um, they took on the team of Jay Whitehall and uh, the Crown Jewel Chase Owens. Yeah, defeated uh, they Goto and Yoshihashi defeated Jay White and Chase uh, eight eight minutes and forty seconds here. I missed this match. <gasps> <laughs> I, I was getting a T-shirt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, wasn't too much to miss. I mean, they you did. S- you said Chase was good. Yeah, Chase looked really good in this match. A lot, you know. But was he hitting V triggers? He didn't do like the spot he did in Australia, but dragon he, rushes. Yeah, he was doing the his, his like his knee strike stuff, uh, but he looked real good in there with um, Goto and Yoshihashi. He didn't. Uh, uh, he didn't one winged angel Yoshihashi. <laughs> no, he didn't. Uh, he didn't cut a. He didn't cut a promo and say good night, goodbye, bang. No, nah, didn't come out with a leather jacket. No sunglasses. He didn't come out with a with a uh, freaking broom and sweep up on them boys. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, but he did look in this match, and they you know they were hyping up Jay White and Goto for next week, and uh, trying to get Goto um, some some momentum here. Uh, but yeah, out of all the guys, I thought Chase Owens kind of stood out the most. And now I didn't see this, um, but listening, I listened to Observer Radio at work this morning. He kept saying that Goto seems to be in really, really, really good shape. Uh, obviously, we saw the. Um, the videos for the countdown to, to the G1 Climax where he's in the LA Dojo and all that. Did you see a noticeable change in the way he looks or his work or anything like that? Because I I honestly, didn't think he looked any different at the press conference. Right. Honestly, I, I didn't think he looked any different to me, and I really didn't see anything different in his work. Um, I, I did not rewatch this match on TV, so I don't know, maybe... I did hear people saying that he seemed very focused and, like, fired up, which it's like, that's probably a far cry from uh, Hoodie Goto <laughs> that we saw at Wrestle Kingdom earlier yeah. this year on the undercard, so... Uh, or on the pre-show, I should say, so that's a good sign, but, um, you know, Goto and Yoshihashi, is that going to be a uh, World Tag League team, you think? Seems like maybe. It might be. Um, but this match came down to the end with Goto and Chase Owens. Goto got him up for the Ushigoroshi, and then he hit him with a kick, and then the GTR for the win here. So Goto gets some momentum going into the B-Block match with Jay White. And there was some post-match stuff with Goto and White, right? Yeah. What happened with that? Uh, you know, I left as soon as Goto won the match because I was trying to see, I was trying to grab some merch. 
Uh, so I didn't catch what happened with Goto and Jay White. Okay, gotcha. I, I do remember, we kind of skipped over it. There was actually a post-match skirmish between Ishii and Jeff Cobb as well. That's right, yeah. After Cobb got the win, they were kind of going back and forth, and the young Lions and the referees are trying to pull them apart, and we had a big, you know, let them fight chant from the crowd, and they're going at each other. Um, so, yeah, this is going to be, yeah, that match is going to be epic. Yep, and then, um, yeah, at the end, I think there was just some... Uh, there were some words, and maybe I can't remember if there was physicality between Goto and Jay White, but it seemed like there was something at the end of that where they were, uh, you know, prepping and preparing for the big match between them on on night two. Yeah, and so next we had a six man tag with Jushin Thunder Liger teaming with Juice Robinson and Toroyano. They defeated the team of Los Ingobernables de Japón of Shingo. Bushi and Tetsuya Naito at 8 minutes and 18 seconds. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. There was a lot of people butthurt about this. In the arena, post-show, like, there was a lot of people. Uh, we went to, actually, we were at the Super Jcast meetup. Um, shout out to that to that podcast. They had a really cool meetup. We met a bunch of people, and I was talking to lots of fans, and they were all like, wanting uh, LIJ to go over Liger and, and his team. And I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, I get I get it, guys, but it's Liger's last match, like, in a bigger It's a, funny. I didn't, stage. The complaining I, I've been hearing is people were upset that Liger didn't get the win for the team, that it was Yano that got the win for the I, team. I was not surprised by that. I was just glad that his team did win. I, I mean, And again, you know what? We talked about it earlier on this show. A lot of times, the guy that needs the heat going into the the rest of the tournament usually picks up the win, and I think by far that's Toriyano. Right. I mean, he's facing Naito on Saturday in the first B block match. He really needs he needs that win. Yeah. So that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, there seem to be. Um, I could see both sides. I could see the the Liger fans being like, "This is his moment. He should have got the win." But I think we all know. I was surprised that they even won in the first place because Liger usually takes losses. Like he just doesn't care. You know, he's right. a very giving performer. Yeah. And but on the other hand, I saw people that were like, Naito came to the states in the American Airlines Center and, and Lij lost. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that there were people who really felt like that, and I was like, yeah, but. But Liger won. <laughs> um, yeah, and the crowd was so hyped to see Liger live and was getting behind him. Huge Liger chants throughout the match. Uh, and the, the crowd also ate up um, all the Yano stuff, pulling off the pads, you know, getting the rope break. And, of course, the LIJ fans, they were super behind um, Naito, Bushi, and Chingo. Uh, One thing interesting, so Juice was in this match. Super jovial came out, seemed to be in a great mood, you know, like really excited. But during the press conference, he was a little bit curmudgeon-y, which is interesting because we've had a lot of interactions with him in the past, one-on-one, and he's been nothing if not yeah. just a stellar, like, it, great guy. Yeah, we met him in New Orleans during uh, WrestleCon Super Show. We went up, talked to him, told him about keeping a strong style, told him how much, you know, we love all the work he's doing, you know, chatted him up a little bit and stuff like that. And he was super nice, super accommodating, like, you know... And he wasn't rude. I, I don't want to put put the, that word out there or anything like that. It wasn't that, but he seemed to just not want to be doing media. Um, almost like had like a chip on his shoulder, mm-hmm. but it didn't feel like character work. It felt like very very real. Like he did not want to be there, and so that was interesting. But that all kind of be subsided when once the lights were on and it was time for him to go. He was ready to go, and he came out. Um, speaking of nights, so I just want to uh, throw this out there. When you listen to the media scrum section of our episode that's coming out, 
pay attention to the question that I asked Naito. Yeah, shout out to me. <laughs> but um, I asked Naito a question. I think it was one of the last questions of, of the media. It, it, it was the last question. No, I think the last one was the Sonata Evil question after after that that Emily Pratt asked. Oh, him. yeah, yeah, yeah. But he had a very interesting answer to the question I asked him. So keep your eyes out for that because I, this guy's winning – this guy's winning the G1. Like, I'm just telling you, he is. <laughs> but uh, I thought that this match was great for what it needed to be, and I was glad Liger got the big win. It was great seeing the LIJ entrance with all those guys walking out together. It's so cool. Yeah, that was really cool. And, you know, good little three-star fair here. Uh, Yano hits a low blow on Bushi and cradles him up to get the win for his team. Before we move on to the actual blocks, there's one thing about the setup that I wanted to mention so we've been to a lot of New Japan shows in the States. We've never been to an, a New Japan show that had the actual official ring and apron and posts <laughs> and all that. I mean, this was an, as authentic of a presentation as you could get. They even had, like, in the past, in L.A., they haven't even had, like, the sponsors on the ring, on the, uh, the um, canvas, and they did this time, which was really cool. Yeah. But when we walked in... And I saw that stage set up, and I don't hear anyone talking about this, so maybe it didn't bother anybody else. But when I saw that, I was like, what is that stage? Is that all they're doing? Right, it's just a, that little, like, archway thing. It was just an archway, and then just a big black canvas behind it. And I was like, that looks horrible. Like, that, I was like, there's, it's bare bones. There's, like, nothing there. And they don't even do that in Japan, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. especially not for a big show like this. But then I don't think that really came across that way on the television production because the way that the camera cuts. Yeah, when I watched it on TV, it it did look better on TV. But I was surprised they didn't have, like, a screen or even, like, banners Banners, or something. Um, So I was was really taken aback by that. And I thought it was going to come off real bad, but I think on TV it was fine. Yeah. Um, But, yeah, this was – the stage setup was interesting. But um, let's get into the block matches. Yeah, so we had the first A block match with the hometown hero, the American psycho Lance Archer, taking on the aerial assassin Will Ospreay. Archer defeated Os- Oh, Oh, and before this, they made a big announcement. Right, I thought we were going to hold that for the news. But yeah, they did announce the, uh, the U.S. on the East Coast tour happening in Boston, New York City, and Philly, uh, September 27th through the 29th. Yeah, and we'll talk more about that in the news, but that got a pretty big reaction from the crowd, which was real cool. And then, um, yeah, Archer taking on Osprey. Yep, so uh, Archer defeats Osprey here, 18 minutes and 17 seconds, and this was a hell of a way to open off the G1 matches. This was an excellent match, and... For me, this was better than the New Japan Cup match they had earlier yeah. this year. Archer was super motivated in his hometown, looked great. This is a guy two years ago who had back surgery. Um, he doesn't have the reputation that a guy like Osprey has. And he came out here and freaking killed it. I mean, as soon as the opening bell kicked off, the Spanish fly, uh, corkscrew dive to the outside. You know, Osprey goes for the. Uh, uh, Space Tiger flying drop. Uh, Archer catches him, choke slam him through a table. Dude, the crowd was so hyped for this thing. Do you know what I appreciate hmm. when you call it the Space Flying t- fi- uh, Tiger drop instead of the uh, Fosbury flop? Yes, <laughs> because for the longest time, like that, and you're not wrong when you call it the Fosbury flop, but 
it's like yes, come over to the come over to the light side, Jeremy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I go back and forth. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, but yeah, when we were watching this match, we were just this really exceeded my expectations. I know I was in the group chat and uh, shout out to James Boyd. He uh, was like, if you know, 1995 Vince had seen this version of Lance Archer, he would have belted this man up. <laughs> he would Diesel who? <laughs> Psycho Sid who? You know, like this guy would have been champion. But um, this so exceeded my expectations. I thought they were going to have a really good match, obviously. Right. We, we saw evidence of that at the New Japan Cup. But these guys came out so determined to have a great match. Lance Archer was on Wrestling Observer Radio this past weekend uh, doing some press. And he mentioned that this was the best match of his career that he'd had earlier in March with Will Ospreay. Uh, or was that February? Uh, it was March. March, yeah. Pink up, yeah. And, um, but this just th- this blew that one away. And, I mean, they're both great matches. But, man, Archer really stepping up here. Um, came out with a new look. Came out with a fire. Osprey came out with new gear. And these guys just, they had a barn burner, man. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh so many great spots that they uh, brought back the dive over the pounce spot, but then eventually Archer did able to hit the pounce, and I love that move just because I used to be a big fan of uh, the alpha male Monty Brown from the TNA days. And out, how, how great is that in New Japan when you see these matches where these guys recall the spots that they've done in previous matches, and you as a fan you see that, and then they play off of it and build to something new in the new match, which is I love that kind of storytelling built into matches, and we. We don't get enough of it in pro wrestling, but we get a lot of it in New Japan. That's one of the reasons we're, we're kind of spoiled. Yeah. There was a spot where uh, you rewatched the match. Did Will hit his head on the canvas? Yes, he did when he was doing the space tiger, the flying space tiger drop. I thought when we were watching it, because we were on the other side, I thought maybe he did, but then he seemed fine. So I was like, oh, he cleared it. But then I saw a picture and I was like, oh, no, this, this dude hit his face. Well, on. his nose was bleeding. Yeah, and if you guys don't know, I don't know if you've ever heard this, but uh, the apron, that's the hardest part <laughs> of the ring. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's ever said that to you before, but, uh, you know, just some inside info, just in case you're wondering. I didn't know. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's what I'm here for. <laughs> Expert analysis there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, they did a, a super Spanish fly from the top oh, row. That, that was, bro, and then Archer doing the, the rope walking. Yeah, the old school. Um, and, and I was like... I was nervous that that was going to be the spot where maybe he like just messed up a little bit, but they pulled that off awesome. Yeah, you know, Archer, he's a really athletic big guy, and, you know, a lot of people are starting to figure this out. You know, I watched Archer in TNA when he was Lance Hoyt teaming up with Kid Cash back in the day, and he was out there doing moonsaults and wrestling a lot of the X Division guys, and he was an, he was an athletic big guy. But then he went to WWE, became Vance Archer. They wanted him to work, you know, big man style. He didn't do a lot of athletic stuff there. His run wasn't so great. Left there, ended up going to New- to Japan. He had the he had the back surgery, and then you know he's been in Killer Elite Squad and really hasn't shown out much of what he can do. And now here he's getting this opportunity in the singles run. He's showing the world, you know, just how good he is. Well, on Observer Radio, he said one thing that helped him was once he got to New Japan, they're like, you know, th- that was great. Like post match. He was like, you know, in other companies, they'd be like, don't do this spot. This is this guy's spot. Don't do this. Don't do that. They really, like, micromanage. Mm-hmm. And instead, he was like, here, they're like, that was good, but more monster. More monster. Like, <laughs> be be bigger. Be badder. Do more. Be more physical. You know, and he was like, it helped him 
regain his confidence and find out who he was as a performer and, and learn to do even more. And I think that that's really shining through this year. Uh, Archer, uh, most improved candidate for the award season. Definitely. Maybe. Yeah. Um, um, great. They had a great near fall. He hit the blackout, which, you know, at one point, I mean, the blackout was one of the most protected finishers in New Japan. I thought the match was over. So did I. Once he hit that, I was like, like, oh, I was like, he beat him. But I think Will kicked out of it in the New Japan Cup also. Um, so kicked out of it again here. Um, and then eventually it came down. Um, Archer got him on top, hit the super blackout, and then uh, applied the claw and used it as a pin and got the win here. I think we both predicted Archer win here, right? Yes, we did. Congrats to us. Um, I want to say this about Will Ospreay because it's a thought I've had for a while, and I, I keep wanting to say it on the show, and I keep forgetting to say it. To me, in 2019, and for a few years now, it's been this way. I think Will Ospreay, in a way, is like the modern-day Ric Flair. And some people are listening like, what what does he mean by that? (laughs) Um, Obviously, their work is entirely different. But what I mean by by that is this. Flair was a guy all throughout the 80s and into the early 90s and even in the late 70s. He could go anywhere on any given night with any talent. He had one particular type of match he did, for the most part, and he did his one match with you, and it didn't matter if you were Junkyard Dog or if you were Ricky Steamboat. didn't matter what level of talent you were. He was going to make you look like a million bucks, and you would have the match of the night every night that you worked with Ric Flair. Everyone, you know... No one could keep up with this guy, and that's what kind of ma- that's why Ric Flair is so revered and seen amongst many reasons. Will Ospreay is like that in 2019, and he has been again for many for many years now. This guy travels; he goes everywhere. Every company he's in, he gets in there. It doesn't matter if it's a big guy, little guy, monster, you know, technical guy, like you know, high flyer. It doesn't matter what type of style they do. They get in the ring with Osprey, and Osprey. We're I will say this: we're starting to see a little bit more formula to his matches i'm like the match kicking off with that uh spanish five we've seen that like quite a bit now it's Mm. not new yeah but it's it doesn't matter because it's so hot it's like those spots that flair used to do you knew which spots were coming and it didn't matter you just freaking enjoy them because they're so awesome and the spanish fly is such a cool looking move i dude give me all spanish flies give me some people don't like it because they think it's a kind of like the logic of it is kind of dumb and i get that but like it Every time he does that at the beginning of a match, you're like, oh, it's on. Like, yeah. this is going to be a freaking yeah. awesome match. But Osprey can get in there with any guy, no matter who they are, and get an over four-star match out of them, you know. And there's very few people in the world today that can just do that. And he does it consistently. It's not just that he can. He always does it. Yes, consistently. Yeah, we're going to see this G1. I mean, he already got one here in the in the bucket, dude. He's going to rack up some more excellent matches throughout this tournament, and that's why I say Will Osprey is the modern day Ric Flair, man. Like you know, a totally different type of worker, totally different deal altogether. All but like he's this traveling guy that can get in there with anybody and just pull this one particular type of match out of anybody and make them look like they should be at the top. He makes he made Lance Archer look like he should be a world champion. Right, like, that's incredible. Yeah, um, we have a lot of questions here on this matchup. Uh, first from our man Rambone Slam Pig. He wants to know what are our thoughts on the new Lanch Archer. He says I thought he came across well. It'll be interesting to see how he does against opponents other than Osprey. I thought that I liked that he came out with new gear. Mm-hmm. I 
I don't like the jeans that he was wearing, especially since they were like all ripped and then kind of bedazzled in the back. It's kind of like a white trashy sort of look. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't really, really feeling that. I thought that this was more of like a top guy sort of look. Um, I did think it was funny uh, when he walked out. I was like, or actually when we were in the arena and I saw his hair, I was like, who's that guy with the long red hair? Like, I didn't even know it was Lance Archer. And like, we were talking to Damon. I was like, who is that? And we're like, is that, is that Archer? Couldn't tell. But um, he, I think he was kind of going for like a road warrior, like, like Mad Max sort of like post-apocalyptic hairdo, mm. which was kind of cool. But then I did make a joke where I was like, it kind of looks like some of those like Ronda Rousey like hairdos. That she <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. I could just see Archer with like dark, dark like black swan eye sh- shadow. <laughs> but um, no, I thought I thought he came across really well, and he looked. I thought he had a better look than he we've seen in a long time. Yeah, I, yeah, I was digging the new look. Um, you know, the mohawk uh, kind of thing. I mean. I don't really prefer have a prefer it either way or not, but but oh, I thought his overall looked was good. I think a change just in general. It's like a new coat of paint, so yeah. I thought that was a good thing, and it, it shows me that he's taking this a bit more seriously. And with the breakup of KES, they they it looks like they're you know poised to give him a singles push, which is good. Yeah, and like Rambo, uh, Rambo and Slam Pig said, it is, is going to be interesting to see him. And against other opponents, but he's in a good block to succeed. Um, he has Sonata, he has Saber, uh, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi. He has some great workers in this block. I wouldn't be surprised if in the next year or so you start seeing Fale. I don't know that Fale is going to phase out, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see him working less and less singles matches and just move into more of like an overseer sort of role in in um, Bullet Club. And you kind of see Archer as that big man who can beat anybody, that monster in New Japan sort of role. I wouldn't be surprised if Archer does get some sort of big title shot and we see him as the guy that can beat anybody on any given night. Yeah. Like, I could see him taking that that current Fale spot. Yeah, that would be great if he did. Uh, Next question from Reddit user Bravo Tango Zulu says, uh, any opinion on the Lance on Lance Archer's claw finish and or Archer's new outfit. So we kind of already had talked about the outfit. How do you feel about him using the claw? I don't, I'm not a fan of the claw. I think we talked about that a few weeks ago, uh, maybe even last week. I don't like it. I didn't mind that he used it here because the reality is, if you want my honest opinion, if he would have pinned Osprey after that, what's his move called, the blackout? Yeah. After he hit the super blackout, he could have pinned him, and I think the match would have been one, two, three anyways. So it felt like him putting the claw in. It wasn't like he won with the claw. It was like an after the effect, like to add like insult to injury. Right. He threw it on there. If he had beat Will Ospreay with the claw, like on its own, like he's the great Kali or, you know, Waldo Von Erich, I would have been pissed. <laughs> but he didn't. Yeah, I like him using the claw as getting it into a pin after he does the blackout. Ooh, I don't. On this show, I did. But going forward, I will, I'm not going to like it if that's his thing. Well, it, it probably is going to be. Ooh, I hate it. <laughs> or maybe he was just building it up here for, for this Dallas crowd. Because the, the whole crowd popped. I saw a lot of people in the front row throwing the claw up. And there's a lot of old Texas heads in there that, yeah, that were there, that, that watched Von Eriks and popped huge for it. So maybe he was building it up just for this show. Um, but if he's going to do it, I'd rather him do it after he does the blackout and not submit people after it. I can agree with that. I yeah, I hate those those, those Kerry Von Eric spots and those big matches where it's like we have to sit there and, and all 
pretend that this guy is squeezing the life out of this dude's temples. Like, come on, man. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and then we had a question from that was five stars who we uh, we had a post G one uh, dinner with uh, him and jar of peanuts. Oh, that's right. Um, shout out. Shout yeah, out, man. that was five stars. That, yeah, man. we had a good time with those guys. We were watching the UFC. We got to see uh, five second uh, V trigger finish. Yes. When uh, my boy, um, what's his name? Why do I forget names on the air? Uh, Jorge Masvidal, he knocked out Ben Askren, undefeated fighter, five seconds. That was pretty, pretty awesome. But um, with Lance Archer picking up a win against Will, do you think that he could pick up a win against Okada? Uh, this would lead to a new challenger for a title offense and consol- could solidify Archer's singles push, making it a win-win situation for both men. Um, I do think it's possible he could pick up a win against Okada. I mean, we've seen in the past Okada lose to guys like a bad luck Fale to put over just how big and menacing these guys are. And especially, you know, if they want to go with Archer in the future in that role, picking up a win against Okada would be good, especially if it ends up being a great match and you come back for a title match and you kind of solidify Archer um, as a top, you know, menacing guy. I think that would be great. I think we have seen um, Fale beat Okada in the G1 before. Although, my, I don't think, and I could be wrong here, I don't think he ever beat him when he was the champion right. in the G1. I think that the fact that Okada's the champion, if Archer beats him, that's a huge deal. And I'm like, uh, he's got to get a title shot. And I don't know if that's the direction they're going with Archer. Right. And I, like, I don't know. if it, I'm not saying it will happen, but I do think it's a possibility. Anything's a possibility. I, I'm going to tell you that I think it's less than 5% personally. Mm. But that would be a very interesting way for them to go about things. And I wouldn't be against it at all if they decided to do that. Yeah, I'd be down for it. And if there's anybody else in this tournament that can pull out like another classic out of Archer, it's Okada. Definitely. Um, then question from our man William Johnson uh, from the Wrestling Squared Circle. He says, is it crazy to think of Lance as a legitimate challenger for the U.S. championship? And would you pull a trigger with a title run? I don't think that's um, crazy. Um, I don't think it would be crazy to see him do what Fale did and have a brief IC title run either. Right. right. I mean, also, I mean, they could put him in the never division. They could definitely do that. Um, so, yeah, I don't mean, I mean, Yoshihashi challenged for the U.S. title. I don't think it would be crazy to have Archer challenging for it. Um, I don't know if you'd want to make him the U.S. champion. Um, I really feel that U.S. championship, you need somebody. That belt should be for the person who's going to be the face of the Western expansion and the fans can get behind. Uh, So I feel like that should be reserved for somebody else. I don't know if I'd put the U.S. on him. What do you think about that? I think Archer's a really viable big man and a really viable monster. And so... You put titles on big monsters like that so you can get hot young baby faces who need to defeat the odds um, over. So if you're going to put a title on him, I don't see him like going through a million challengers. I see you, you, you do that so that somebody can um, upend him and, and win the belt. So yeah, if you want to put a title on him, whether it be the IC or the US or the Never, fine. You know, do that. Um, just have a, have have a uh, goal in mind with who you see as being the guy that's going to beat him for it, and you make him look real, real, real dominant in the lead up to that. Uh, you know, to to him winning that title and even maybe getting a defense or two. 
Uh, we might be getting ahead of ourselves. I don't know if they're gonna do that, but right. I wouldn't be I wouldn't be against it at all. Amen. But uh, before we move on, I just think it's awesome. We have so many people. We've never had questions about Lance Archer like this, except for him spitting on people. <laughs> so I mean, that tells you the impact of this match. Yeah, and then it's just an excellent way to kick off G1 Climax. Both guys look great. I went four and a half on this one. I think I was four and a quarter, but I would like to watch it on TV. I haven't seen it uh, on television yet, and I'm not great at judging stuff in the in the building. But yeah, it, it, it was an awesome opener, like really awesome. It breezed by. So then we moved on to a match that felt like it did not breeze by. Uh, Bad Luck Fale taking on Evil. Uh, Fale defeated Evil 11 minutes, 30 seconds. What? That match was only 11 minutes? Yeah. Nah, dog. That that match was like 25 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) That match went off forever. (laughs) That that was, was, yeah. Uh, I remember we were in the press box and we were making jokes and I was like, what a war. (laughs) I was like, where were you the night? You were like, look at Bad Luck Fale's technical acumen. (laughs) (laughs) His catch-as-catch-can style. Oh, my God. This guy's a technical marvel. Um, I'll say this. I didn't expect anything great out of this. It definitely could have been way worse than it ended up being. Um, I'm glad that Fale won, if for no other reason other than the fact that I predicted he would win last week. (laughs) And so that was cool. Um, But... There was a lot of smoke and mirrors. They kind of did what they needed to do to have a decent match. I didn't think this was the worst thing in the world, but it, it kind of died a death in, in the arena. People were pretty quiet throughout. I think a lot of people wanted to see Evil win. But, you know, overall, I mean, it was just kind of a hard-hitting match with some shenanigans. And it, it's a bad luck falling match, you know? Right. I mean, it was it was okay. It was fine for what it was. I mean, they, they try to spice it up, you know, with the brawling on the ramp, a lot of the chair involvement. Um as soon as the, the ref, ref bumps. Yeah, as soon as the ref went down, though, I thought, "Oh, here we go. We're gonna get the Bullet Club interference again." Um, but it, n- there was none of that. It was just Evil and Fale fighting over the chairs, and uh, Fale ended up doing Evil's baseball chair spot to him um, after a low blow. Then he hits the Bad Luck Fall one two three. Fale beats Evil, gets two points. I went uh, two and a half stars on this. Mm, that's pretty low. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd have to see it again, although I don't plan on watching it again. Um, it was one of those things where it's like, Folly set the bar so low last year, like so low, that this was like a like a vast improvement. Like, Folly might be in line for like most improved of the year. Like, that's how bad last year's was. Yeah. Uh, but it was fine. And the one thing that they were kind of pushing on commentary was the fact that, you know, he got disqualified six times last year. Uh, but the referees try not to disqualify people in the G1, um, and that's why they were kind of trying to let things go here, with all the chair stuff here. Yo, this man came out with uh, shorts and a cutoff T-shirt for the press conference. Like, yeah. he was not looking fresh to death. Yeah. And uh, at one point, he flipped over... Who was it that, that pissed him off, and he flipped over the table during the press conference? I think the whole crowd was, was booing him. No, someone... Some, he was sitting at the table, and someone was, someone was actually at the podium... Uh. And he flipped over the table like he just wasn't having it. Like they said something about Fale and he freaked out. I can't remember now. I don't remember e- either. Uh, Evil was really great at the press conference. Like the crowd loved him and he came out looking like, you know, like Evil but <laughs> in real life. It's weird. But um, yeah, I think the crowd was a little dejected. Evil's 
a huge, huge fan favorite. Second LIJ loss of the night. Fale's not, so. Yeah. Uh, question from Rambone Slam Pig. Do you think this should be Bad Luck Fale's last year in the G1? That's up to Gato. I mean, it's I, I really don't know because he has a role that he plays. Um, and it he's kind of a crutch that they depend on for the G1. It's impossible for, like... Well, I don't want to say impossible, but they they just they use him for a certain role, and so to kind of like let's say if you took him out and you put in some great technical wrestler or something like that, it might it's going to really change the dynamics of the of the tournament. Although, like I don't enjoy watching Bad Luck Folly too much, but it's one of those. Here's the thing with Bad Luck Folly: it's like what have you done for me lately? Because if we're being honest, he's had some really good matches this year that people kind of aren't talking about. Like he had that really good match with Juice. He had a really good match with uh, um, Okada. Um, he had that really good match with Will Ospreay. Like, he's had good singles matches this year, but then he comes out and does this sort of match, and you kind of know what to expect, you know? Right. I mean, I, I, I'm not as down on Fale as... A, some people really hate Fale. Like, they hate him. I don't hate him like that, but I also don't, like, get stoked for his matches. Here's the thing. If Gato next year is like, Fale's out... You'll be fine. I'll be fine. If he's in, I'll be fine. Uh, I'm the same way. If he's gone next year, I wouldn't be surprised. But it wouldn't be because they're like, oh, he can't hang anymore. It like He's pretty important in New Japan, and he's like really been loyal, and he does a lot for them for their international stuff as well. Especially the whole New Zealand, Australia stuff that's Folly's going on. really important in New Japan, whether you guys realize it or not. He's got a lot of strokes. So if he's not in it, it's not going to be because they're like, you can't hang anymore. It's gonna, He's going to be like, I don't want to do it. And they're going to be like, all right, cool. Yeah. But if, if they're like, we, we need you, he's going to do it. And that's the deal. That, that like That's what it is. So um, we move on to the um, top of the card. Uh, third match in um, tournament play, we had... Um, Cold Skull Sonata taking on Zack Saber Jr. Yeah, dude, this was a great technical wrestling match. A lot of great counters and holds, and just just I love this matchup. Just from the get go, uh, these guys are just working in and out of holes, circling up, locking up, ex- exchanging holds and moves. Um, I thought both guys looked really good here. We've seen Sonata and Saber have these type of matches before, and uh, just showing. I love because these type of matches highlight how great Sonata is at wrestling. That match style thing, people visualize him more as a high flyer, but he is very good at doing the technical style and kind of getting these quick roll ups and holds and submissions. Okay, so you watched this on television today, right? Yes. Was there a difference between watching it live and watching it on television? Did it change your experience or anything? Not really. I still thought I still came off feeling the same way um, as far as like rating and what I thought of the matchup and the structure. Okay, so here's the thing. Before this tournament started, I said that this was one of my like sleeper matches of the tournament that I thought was gonna be like no one was talking about, but I thought it was gonna be really great. And we we all know how much I loved their match last year. And then I watched it live, and I don't know what happened, man. Like what? Maybe I was falling asleep. Or something, um, or maybe I wasn't paying attention or got distracted. I don't know, but like it didn't come off as what I was hoping for. I thought it was good at the time, but I was like, you know, like I was like three and a half. I'm like, I was definitely in the minority. Every single person I talked to loved this match. The crowd yeah, I, loved it. I've seen match. a couple of people that are like, 
match of the night. This was my favorite match. I've heard a lot of people say that. I heard uh, on Wrestling Observer, Dave Meltzer said that this was like a Vulcan match, and I was like, what? Um, so I think I need to rewatch it because I'm the only person that's as low on it as I was, but I also don't have strong opinions. The one thing that I thought about it, everyone keeps saying it was a technical masterpiece, and I'm like, I thought the opening was real technical, but I thought there was a lot of like powdering and a lot of like um, just kind of like New Japan like Suzuki Goon stuff mm-hmm. in this match, and it didn't really start getting technical again towards the end. So I just don't know what happened. Where I need to rewatch it because I must have not been paying attention. Like I almost feel bad like reviewing it on the show today because I'm like everyone's giving it over four stars or around four stars or higher, and I'm like I thought it was just okay, but um. Every like people love this match. Yeah, I was uh, four stars flat on it. I know I, I just loved it. I thought there was a lot of great counters. I thought there was some great uh, throwbacks to their previous matches, uh, and, and the fact that uh, Sonata uh, beat Saber with that European clutch hold. I I was real all throughout the match because I predicted Sonata to win. I was like wanting him to win. But I, there are so many times I was like, oh, God, Sabre's got him. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they had some really, really the, – the closing sequence was awesome. And then he did beat him with that European clutch, which was really a really great way for them to finish the match. I thought the closing sequence was super hot. Yeah, I love the closing sequence. Uh, you know, Sabre um, fights out of the skull in, and he hits a European clutch. He gets a European clutch, and then that's where it's not a, uh, countered with the European clutch of his own and caught him and – Got Saber out of there. That's the second year in a row, in a row where he's rolled him up during the G1. So, uh, real interesting stuff there. Afterwards, and, and uh, on a commentary, they're pushing the fact that you know if Sonata beat Saber, he'd be in line for a Rev Pro title shot. That the Rev Pro uh, committee they rec- they um, they you know, recognize like wins and losses in New Japan for their titles. So that if he won, he would possibly get a title shot. And they kind of push that heavy. So maybe we are getting a Sonata Saber Rev Pro title match sometime soon. Maybe. We just, we literally just had one last week. That's the only thing. But but it wasn't aired on uh, New Japan, though. Oh, you mean in New Japan? Yes. Okay, that would actually make sense. Um, yeah, that would make a lot of sense if they decided to do that. Um, Saber was not having it after the match went on a tirade. Freaking out, beating up young lions. Uh, did he attack the referee? I think he started putting him in a hold. Yeah, he he put the referee in a kimura. Yeah, so Saber was livid, super livid. Not a hot start for his uh, 2019 G1 run, but Sonata picks up two points here. But, but he did say in the press conference he's only concerned really about beating one person. That's beating Okada. So if he beats Okada, he's going to march into Royal's quest for a title shot. Hey, I mean, if I didn't think I was going to win the tournament, that's exactly what I'd say, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we move on to the semi-main event of the night. Uh, Highly anticipated matchup between uh, Golden Star Kota Ibushi taking on Kenta. Yeah, like we mentioned uh, earlier, the crowd was... Super hyped in this match, and it went to a different level once once they came out, like a whole different feel. Yeah, and I loved uh, Kenta's uh, the wording on his um, video, uh, his entrance video. You know, the old Kenta returns, the fangs are revived, and oh, that was so cool. When we were in, the, yeah, you guys probably didn't see that too much, but in the arena, 
the banners that that circulate with the LED lights, like some of those guys had really really cool like just arena entrances, and Kentus was one of the highlights for me on on this show. Yeah, and you know, dueling chance right from the beginning, and these guys had a very hard hitting match, and like we mentioned earlier, this was Kenta. It was ninety ten in Kenta's favor. This was pretty much a um, you know a twenty minute squash match. Yep, that's exactly what I said afterwards. I was like, Kenta came out there and he just beat up Kota Ibushi. Like he just beat him up. Um, Ibushi definitely had his moments. Both guys were hitting hard, but this was a match designed to put Kenta over as big as possible, as as a big star and a huge threat in New Japan, and they have almost no greater way to have done that than to put him over one of their top stars in Kota Ibushi. I mean, he just literally kicked the crap out of Kota Ibushi. Yeah, I mean, those strikes, I mean, the heavy palm strikes, heavy kicks, there was the knees, knees there was the the diving, um, double foot stomp to the outside with Ibushi uh, draped over the guardrail, there was the, the rope hung uh, diving knee to the back of Ibushi's head. Bicycle knees, strikes, like, it was it was crazy. Yeah, very hard kicks to the back, PK kicks to the back and the chest. I liked a lot the beginning of the match, the way they came out, and they pretty much were having, like, your um, prototypical, almost like a shoot kickboxing sort of style matchup, like, right off the gate, which both guys are very um, experienced in that sort of style of wrestling. Which I thought was cool. But that's one thing I loved about the show. The show breezed by. And I mean, the first match of the night was like this big man, small man, high speed opener. And then the second match was kind of like a plotting, you know, big man, strong style Haas sort of match. Third match of the night, technical, you know, lots of like technical wrestling. And then this match was like your strong style, like stiff strike fest. These guys were just hitting each other as hard yeah, as possible. Yeah, that was the great part about these last uh, five matches. All of them felt different and or all wrestled a different style. Absolutely. Um, we mentioned earlier how like the crowd was really trying to will their way to having like this epic. Like I think they wanted to see something like a Bushi Nakamura, and instead we were getting like. Lesnar Cena. <laughs> like, we're getting Kenta dominated Kota Ibushi, like, just completely obliterated him. Man. Yeah, there was one spot where Ibushi goes for the plancha outside, and Kenta, like, jumps up and catches him with a knee. And Ibushi took a nasty landing. It looked like he hurt his ankle, but I didn't know if he was just. I didn't uh, see selling. that live when we were watching it, but again, they did it on the other side of the ring. So I didn't. Right. I, didn't I didn't see it live. I, I when I was in the airport, I was listening to Observer. I heard him mention it, and then when I watched it back today, I saw how he landed. He did land kind of weird. Well, but. the guys in the group thread said that they're worried about that the rest of the the show or the rest of the match, cause, and they did say he was protecting his ankle, so he might have maybe sustained some sort of injury. Hopefully, it's not too serious. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, man, Kenta and Kotobushi, they went out there, they had a match. And, I mean, uh, one thing that I thought was real striking, Kenta, not in the kind of shape that I'm used to seeing him in. And, like, when he came out uh, during Dominion and the shirt was on, he just looked jacked real, real big. And I was like, oh, he's, like, in great shape. But then, like, when the shirt came off, uh, like, he wasn't in the kind of – like, he wasn't out of shape, I would say, but – well, I guess he was. He was a little bit out of shape. And then especially when you compare that to, like, the Adonis, that's Ibushi. Right. Who, I don't know if he's ever looked this good. Like, he he looked incredible. Uh, there was definitely a stark contrast between the actual aesthetics between their looks. 
Um, I do wonder, like, if, if Kenta's shoulders, like, the injuries he sustained in the past are something that's still affecting him or whether he was gearing up for this return or not. Or, like, are we – like, I'm just wondering if he's going to be getting into better shape as we go on because, I mean, I'm not used to seeing him not being, like he, – he was ne- he's never been a body guy. Right. But I've never seen him look – you know, have that little extra bit of weight on him like that. Want to make sure that he's a heavyweight. <laughs> yeah, 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 I guess so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he he had a yeah. Once once he got out of two hundred five, he he didn't have to cut weight all the time. The, right. rig, the rigors of two hundred five live. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was able to uh, pack on some pounds. <laughs> uh, yeah, but yeah, this was a great hard hitting matchup here. Uh, I did see a lot of people though. Um, because of the nature of the match, because it was so one-sided and all of that, and then it ended so emphatically, I saw a lot of like kind of lower ratings. Yeah, this match is probably one match I've seen so many varying opinions. I've seen matches of the night, great match. This, this match sucked. It was okay. It was fine. You know, it was it was just middle of the road. I've seen. All over the board opinions on this match. I think for us being live in the crowd, when you can hear the strikes, and that's when you get stiff matches and you hear the strikes, it does present itself a little bit better than maybe it does on television. But it wasn't just the fact of the strikes. The crowd, even though I complained a little bit about some of the chants, they were so into it the whole match. Yeah, the crowd elevated this match, definitely. I, I think so, for sure. And, I mean, I was about, like, four and a quarter on it. I thought it was a really, really good match, and I liked the story they told. And you know what? I like nuance to my wrestling. I don't want every match to be this 50-50. Like, I think a lot of people are, like, conditioned to think, like, you know, you, you get a bunch of near falls. You know, it's a big match. You get you get guys, like, kicking out of lots of finishers and stuff. They This was not that. This was one guy dominating the other guy and then hitting his finish and putting him away and you know what? Sometimes in a fight, that's what really happens. And so I like that. Yeah. I also went uh, four and a quarter. And I felt they they really needed to put Kenta over strong. They really needed to kind of get that 205 stink off of him and try and show people what Kenta is. Um, and so I thought they did a great job here. You know, especially, you know, we thinking he's, he could possibly beat Okada and get a title shot at King of Pro Wrestling. You know, they have to make him look strong. And, you know, taking out a guy like Ibushi, that makes him look like a credible threat for the IWGP title. Here's another thing. In in years past, you bring in a top star like Kenta. If you had a television product or you were running a territory and it wasn't this prestigious tournament, you wouldn't put him in the ring with Kenta or with Ibushi right away. You'd probably put him in there with, like, a Yoshihashi or someone like that, a Chase Owens. And you'd have him murk him. And in way quicker fashion... And you'd have him just buzzsaw people and destroy them. We're kind of used – we've seen that sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, some companies don't do enough of that. They bring in people and they, they have them go 50-50. They don't need to. In this situation, it was unique because Abushi is such a big star. You don't want him to steamroll the guy. So they did have it go a long period of time. They did have Abushi have his moments. But ultimately, Kenta kicked his ass. Yeah. Now, Kenta's established – Abushi's fine because he's in this tournament and he has a plenty of chances to redeem himself and and you know he's such a big star. I mean he can handle the loss. It's not like uh, it's gonna bury him or anything of that nature. Right. And then when when these guys do face again, we have a story to build off of. Right. Remember that time Kenta destroyed Abushi? Wow. Now Abushi's got a reason to want to fight him again. 
if they just gone 50-50 and it was just a really good match, then it's like, oh, remember that time they had that, that pretty good match? Oh, yeah, let's do it again. No, now Ibushi's like, I've got something to prove. This is how you book pro wrestling. And so even if it wasn't the match of the year contender that everyone might have wanted, you can't really discredit them. Like, Gato knows what he's doing, man. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. And if, if like, and I hope that there is somebody listening who was like, you know what, I hoped it was a better match. I'll tell you what, I hope I was hoping that we'd get like that strong style fight of the year type of thing. We didn't we didn't get it. But well, I hope there are it, people that are hearing this that get a different perspective and realize like, oh, maybe there's a reason they did this and this was actually a good decision. Yeah, but I mean, it was very hard hitting. Though. It was, it was. Yeah, those 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 uh, strikes, man, were just echoing off in that building. Yep, absolutely. And um, uh, and Kenta beat him with the go to sleep. Yeah, he pulled the knee pad down, got him up in the fireman position, lifted him up, dropped him on the knee, hit that go to sleep. One, two, three. Kenta gets two points, beats Abushi in twenty minutes and fifty seconds. The day before, during the media scrum. Uh, Kenta kept talking about the importance of showing the world his style of pro wrestling. And at one point, towards the end, I just asked him, I was like, Kenta, you keep telling everybody you want to show the world Kenta's pro wrestling. In your own words, what is Kenta's pro wrestling? For those who don't know, you know, obviously I'm familiar with Kenta, but there's people who don't know. And he and he just, dude, like, I got chills. We were sitting in that room. I don't know if it's going to come across on the audio, but he was like, tomorrow I will show you. Please watch. I will show you Kenta's pro wrestling. And I was like... Yeah, <laughs> and he did, man. He did. Yeah. So, once again, great hard hitting match. We got a question here from uh, Rambone Slam Pig. He says, "What are your thoughts on Kenta?" I think he's uh, fucking awesome. <laughs> oh, that was great at the press conference. I am fucking Kenta. Yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. You know, I think Kenta had a great uh, first showing here. You know, I'm not going to jump the ship here and say, you know, Noah Kenta is back. He's prime Kenta. I'm not ready to say that. I think he still has a lot to show. Right. A lot to prove. But I will say he's not. He's definitely not Hideo Itami. That's right. Um, my thoughts after this match were that was great. Great way to get the guy over. Still a lot of unanswered questions. I don't think you can answer all those questions in just one match. Right. This was by no means bad. It was very good. But I I think, you know, a lot remains to be seen in this tournament. We're going to get those questions answered, so keep watching because we're going to find out. But Right. I mean, he's going to be in there with Okada. He's going to be in there with Tanahashi. Um, so we're going to see. We're going to see. But, I mean, so far I'm pretty happy. I My one thing is I'd like to see him get in a little bit better ring shape. Um, but other than that, I mean, I was very impressed with this performance. Same here. Uh, then question uh, from Ryan Aaron. He says, with NJPW being heavily faction-based, what faction, if any, do you see Kenta joining? I would like it if Kenta started his own faction. Yeah, I think it would be great. I know some other people have talked about it too. You know, possibly him, Goto, Shibata, and the LA Young Lions kind of forming a stable yeah, I've together. seen some people kind of like speculate with they because um, Goto keeps wearing the LA Dojo shirt, right? And, and um, something too that we didn't mention. So oh, Shibata, yeah. So Shibata, um, you know, people were taking pictures who were on the other side of Shibata watching the match, and then when I watched the broadcast, it actually cut the camera to him and they, Kevin Kelly was like, "Oh, Shibata is out here, you know, catching a glimpse of this matchup." I saw a post online of 
um, Ishii up in the top stands watching this match as well. He came out just to watch this one match, mm-hmm. so that's interesting as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, so let's say hypothetically Kenta doesn't go into a new in start his own faction, which I got to tell you, I think that that makes the most sense to me. I think that we've talked for a while that they're they're long overdue for an overhaul with the factions. We'd heard that there's going to be a lot of like shakeups and and workarounds, but all they really did was kind of merge Chaos and Sekigun, mm-hmm. and then kind of added new members to Bullet Club, and everything's pretty much kind of the same. We we it's been a long time since we've had a new faction. I mean, we're talking years. I think it's about time that we get that new faction. And with Kenta, you know, not being a New Japan guy, I don't really think it it makes sense for him to really like join like chaos or anything like that or lij you know what i mean i couldn't see i i can tell you right now i could not see him in lij i would say it was it's least likely to me he'd be in lij bullet club is kind of a maybe i don't think that that'd be a good fit but i mean if you want in order for kenta to go there i think you'd have to change his character Mm -hmm. you could do that but i don't see that um although and then with Chaos and Suzuki Goon, those are the two groups that make the most sense to me. I think it still depends on whether or not Kenta's even going to be here long term. Like, we don't really know the answer to that question yet. But to me, the most obvious answer is he starts his own faction. Yeah. Like, he's going to be a big star, and that makes more sense than anything else to me. Yep. So, uh, yeah, anything else on Kenta and Ibushi? Uh, no, it's really good. All right, so now we're on to the main event of the evening, the last A block match, the current IWGP champion, Kazuchika Okada, taking on the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Um, what, what a moment, man. What a moment. Like, from the, from the moment that this semi-main event ended... And then we just sat there and, like, there was this buzz that just started palpable. Like, it was palpable. It was all throughout the building. You could just feel it. Um, you know, we talked about how there might have been some fans there that were, like, newer New Japan fans, things like that. And maybe, like, kind of casuals. But ultimately speaking, there was such a strong contingency of longtime supporters of New Japan who just have always wanted to see this match. And once the realization was happening that we're in the U.S. and we're getting to see Okada Tanahashi, the the excitement level, it just was so high. Like yeah, people were dude. so excited for this. Everybody was amped for this, for the entrances, the kind of stare off in the beginning of the match, and then the bell rang. Okada, oh, Okada's um Okada's gear. Yeah, his gear matched Tanahashi's gear. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And then um, the uh, the shorts got a huge pop when he took off the little. Uh, Samurai skirt wrestling. Fuck them pants. <laughs> uh, the Mega Aces explode here, man. Yeah. But yeah, so the bell, like, the crowd was hyped before the bell. Then the bell rang, and it went up a whole nother level. Everybody stomping uh, the, on the, the bleachers and clapping and just going crazy. I'm sitting here trying to think. I've been at so many wrestling shows now. I think we both have. And we've been at a lot of great moments live like really great wrestling moments i'm trying to remember if i can ever the only other time that i think that comes to mind right off the top of my head 
where the crowd was that amped was maybe at the end of that third fall in New York between Johnny and um, Adam Cole. And Adam Cole. Mm. And that was at the end of a really, really long match that the fans were so invested into at the, at the end of an all-time great card. And that was a lot more people. This felt just like that, and the match hadn't started yet. I don't know if I can remember any other match I've ever been to where there was that much excitement right off the bat. It kind of reminded me of the beginning of All In. Oh, okay. Yeah, it was closer to All In. That's Okay, All In, I'll be honest though. There was a different energy at All In for sure. And that there, those 10,000 people or 11 or whatever in unison was bigger than this. But it do, you're right. It was that's, on, that's the energy. It was on that level. I was trying to remember. I was like, I know there was something that ha- that we were at that had that kind of vibe. That's that's what it was. Like those are the two moments to me. Like all in, and then that that third fall at NXT where we're at. Like when like uh, Gargano kicked out and the crowd freaked out. That's what this was like. But the show had just started. I mean, that was a special moment. And I mean, yeah, there's empty seats, but it didn't matter. Like people were freaking out. Dude. Yeah, dude, this was such a special moment. And I still can't believe that we got to see. Okada Tanahashi live here in the States. This great rivalry that has elevated the pop- popularity of New Japan in the last decade. There was we, there was a lot of times during this match where I was like, I know there's certain chance that if we were like not impressed, if I wanted to try to like get because we're pretty good at getting chance like started. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and if I wanted to get one started, like I was like, I know I could get old ace. New ace. New ace. <laughs> That would have definitely got over in the yeah. crowd. But, um, oh, one thing. Okay, before we talk about this, one thing with the crowd. So we talked about all the empty seats and things like that. Here's something that was interesting I heard on Observer Live, and they mentioned it, and I was like, that makes so much sense to me. We've been at shows where the uh, attendance wasn't so great, and so they try to conceal it by, like, moving everybody to one side of, of the camera or tarping things off or, like, whatever and they did not do anything like that like they still had people up in the top levels and i was like why are those people in the top levels there's like so many seats down here like just come down here like guys (laughs) but um dave was like you know they have a different mentality about this in in japan they treat it like a sporting event it's like if you go to a baseball show and they don't sell out they're it's fine you know what i mean like not every show at, at a sporting event is sold out and so the cameras don't try to hide that the cameras are completely in in uh, they're not they don't care you know what I mean right. like they're they're not invested in how many people are in the crowd they're right. not Cause doing because the, the actual sport the, the the emphasis of the camera work it's what's happening on the field or court or wherever sports happening right and that's one thing we always praise about New Japan like yeah sometimes the crowd is shown but they don't do those wide angled like crowd spots too often most of the time it's focused on the action and so it's like are they going to try and conceal just because there's some empty seats. It's like it's more legitimate that way, and I was like, "Oh, that, that actually does make sense to me." And like, but like us in the West, we're so conditioned that like the crowd like really matters, mm-hmm. and so it, that was one thing that they that like kind of changed my perspective on the show a little bit. I'm like, "Oh, I guess it does," because the crowd in this match was so into it, like it didn't matter that there's empty seats. It's like, dude, this is one of the like most invested crowds I've ever been a part of. Yeah, dude, electric atmosphere, and definitely just made this match even more special than it already was. Um, and then, you know, opening bell kicked off. These guys uh, locked up. Uh, Okada does his kind of traditional spot where he gets them against the, ro- 
against the ropes and actually is going to hit them, but kind of gives a clean break. But Tanahashi wasn't playing that. He fired up and struck Okada, and then it was on from there. Yeah, um, this match is interesting because, like, last year there was some very nuanced and deep-seated wrestling storytelling elements in their series of matches, and you could kind of piece it all together through the course of history of their matches. This match was completely different than that. This match felt like a best of hits. It was yeah. like the condensed, we're going to run through our spots, we're going to do it quick. Yeah, the pace was so different. Normally their matches start a little bit slower and end up being longer. But this, man, the pace was bam, bam, bam from that opening forearm strike from Tanahashi and just till the very end. It was a faster-paced match. It's not that they didn't have they didn't tell a story. They did tell a story, but mm-hmm. the story they told was not one that was um, strung together through all the rest of their matches through all the years. It was like basically if the last match they had last year, you could literally cut that off and watch this match in a vacuum because what this is, it's a, it's a best-of series. It's just the greatest hits. These are the spots we do. This is what we've always done. Um, and there wasn't too much nuance. It was just a very, very fast-paced. And um, that did a little... I'm not going to say brought it down for me, but like I'm not going to rate it as high as some of their like Wrestle Kingdom matches or anything like that. So mm-hmm. it wasn't to that level. But these guys are basically... Dude, they're Flair and Steamboat. They can go out on any night, anywhere in the world, and just pull out a four-and-a-half-star match out of their ass anytime they want. And that's what they did here. Right. And the crowd was just... Bro, we were we were living on the edge of our seats. Like this match was incredible. It's just a beautiful pro wrestling match. It's something interesting too. I mean, going into this match, they were their records were five, five, and three, um, and all three of those draws were during G one their previous G one matches. So they had never had a sub thirty match, sub thirty minute match ever, and all the ones that were part of the G one were draws because they'd never had a match end quicker than 30 minutes. Yep. And, you know, there was a lot of concern about um, Tanahashi in this match with him looking rough on the Kazuna Road Tour towards the end there. but Like his knees and his elbows. Yeah, but he looked great here. I mean, we got the high fly flows to the outside. Oh, so scary. Oh, <laughs> we were scared. I was scared, dude. Like, you heard the like an audible, like, <gasps> from the crowd. Like, oh, so scary. And, I mean, all the sling blades looked perfectly. He was running, jumping, strikes. Everything he did looked nice and crisp and great. He gave it it all. Gave it, gave it his all in this matchup. And the good news is, like, we don't have another singles match from him until Sunday. So he's got plenty of time to rest up, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, there, one thing that was funny. So Okada, at one point early on in the match, Okada... Uh, uh, counters a, a kick strike from Tanahashi and he goes for a dragon screw and I looked over at Jeremy and for longtime listeners of, the, of this uh, show I haven't said it in a while but I was like you don't hook with a hooker and you don't dragon screw with a dragon screw I was like this is gonna come back on my head <laughs> and it, it did boy did it ever <laughs> Tanahashi was tearing up Okada's knees with those um with those dragon screws, all different kinds, the inverted, the outside, the inside. Right, he did the one on the rope. On the rope. And which I loved on commentary, Kevin Kelly really put that over. He was like, you know, that the rope dragon screw has more impact because the body can't go with the knee that it's going. It's going in a different direction. Yeah. So, yeah, really putting that over. 
Yeah, that was really. Uh, I didn't get to hear all of Rocky and um, Kevin Kelly's commentary. Although Kevin was great during media. We yes. Did, yeah, Kevin was so good during media. But um, from all the reports, they said that this was one of. The, they said that actually this was the best commentated North American uh, New Japan show ever. Hmm. And I don't know if that's true, but I gotta imagine that it probably was. You know, given the fact that in the past it's always been. You know Jim Ross and somebody else, and then right. we got like the classic team that we're used to. So that mm-hmm. that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, Kevin and Rocky were great on commentary, and just overall, I mean, this match was great. And Tanahashi, you know, just showed why he's the ace, and no nagging injuries or anything stopped him here in this match. He looked great. And of course, Okada looked great. Drop kicks were on point. Um, his selling was great. You know, selling the knees after getting destroyed by all those dragon screws. Just just an incredible match. And then towards the end, we just got the classic Tanahashi-Okada finishing sequence. All the sling blades, all the tombstones, all the reversals, the wrist control, the breaking of the wrist control, the dragon suplexes, the rainmakers, the reversals, the high-five flows, all of it, man. We, we got what we've always wanted to see from these two on, on U.S. soil. They, they gave it to us in spades. Yeah, it was great. So, you know, Tanahashi, towards the end, he went up top. He did the uh, high-fly flow, the cross-body version. Um, and then he went to do the actual high-fly flow, but then he crashes into Okada's knees. Oh, you got an awesome uh, sequence shot of that. Yeah, I did. So if you follow us on the, on Twitter, at KI Strong Style, I grabbed a couple, like, in-sequence pictures of him crashing <laughs> into Okada's knees on that high-fly flow. And boy, did he bite it. Yeah. <laughs> And then Okada looks for another tombstone. Tanahashi fights out. They start trading strikes. Tanahashi counters, or Okada counters into a Rainmaker. He keeps wrist controls and he falls for another one. He goes for the uh, Rainmaker pose. He picks up Tanahashi. And Tanahashi counters the Rainmaker into a small package. Dude, that near fall. I thought he, I, I thought he had him. I, I bit. I bit on that near fall. Yeah, that was great. And even rewatching on TV, I still was like, <gasps> when he uh, reversed that Rainmaker into the uh, small package there. Then uh, Dragon Suplex by Tanahashi for a near fall. Then they start going into counters. A slap by Tanahashi, but Okada hangs on and still has uh, wrist control. And the camera like zooms into Okada holding onto the wrist. Uh, Tanahashi slaps him again. Uh, to let go, the breaks the wrist control. Tanahashi rushes him, gets caught in a spinning tombstone. Then Okada hits the proper rainmaker. One, two, three. Okada um, gets the big win here. Their their record now is six, five, and three with Okada's favor, and Okada gets the two points. Excellent way to end the show. Great main event. Four and a half stars. Yeah, and I'll say this too. Uh, with all the, the, the history between these two guys, um, and we've talked about the diminishing returns with the you know the amount of times they've wrestled one another in Japan and then now here in the U.S., um, it does seem like we're kind of phasing out, like we're, we're in the final phases of these guys kind of wrestling one another. Even though they just had a great series last year, to me, this almost felt similar to like when Steamboat and Flair had that like 94 series. Like it was like not quite quite to the levels of their 89 series but it was still great that's kind of what the, that's like one comparison i would draw here like 
these guys can still go out there and have a great match. And I, and if they with the right story and everything, I'm sure they could go out there and do five stars, no doubt, no doubt at all. Yeah. But it feels like Okada just beat this guy in 22 minutes. They've never done that. They've never put Okada over Tanahashi that strong and that quick before. And that's a huge accomplishment in the history of their feud. It puts a big exclamation point on things for me. And that tells me, like, this is probably it for them. Yeah. Like, they might have another singles match down the road. But, like, I don't, I'm not going to count on Tanahashi to beat him anymore at all. Yeah. Ever. Yeah. Um, Okada had a great post-match interview the, the to, to send the fans home happy. He, yeah. He was really, really good as well. And uh, the vibe afterwards, people are just so happy, man. This this was this show was great. Yeah, so, you know, the Akata uh, post-match promo, you know, he was uh, thanking Dallas and, um, you know, talking about how excited he was that, you know, first time here in G1, says that he will be the G1 winner and still be the champion um, the next time the G1 comes, or next time G1 comes to America. Um, so, yeah, good stuff there by Okada. Perfect. Awesome. Um, final thoughts on the show? Overall, that was an excellent show. It was just a great weekend. Loved the experience. Press conference was great. Media Q and A was great. The actual show was great. Fan meetup, you know, hanging out with uh, so many listeners. You know, um, you know, it's been like two weeks in a row now that we've hung out with our Georgia crew. Uh, Shout out to them because when I was going to get stuck in the Atlanta airport, I reached out to them and I was like, "Guys, <laughs> I'm going to be stuck here all night." And uh, Kevin's a real one because he was going to come pick me up and put me on his couch. So <laughs> shout out to Kevin. Um, I hit up Megan and the rest of the girls, Rachel and them, and, and they were like, well, we're kind of far away, but Kevin will come get you now. Like, Perfect. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. But I, but I think if he was unable to, they were like, well, if he's not able to, we'll come get you. And that's like an hour to the airport, an hour back. Like, that would have been a lot of driving. So, like, there's some real ones. You know yeah, some saying? real ones. And we'll see them again this weekend at a, a Fight for the Fallen. But it's always fun uh, hanging out with them. And, uh, oh, by the way, when we were in the, um, in the media booth, so me and Jeremy were not, like, being – like marquee fans and being loud but we're definitely talking to each other and cracking jokes like we always do and there's a lot of other like media members that we that are like peers that we kind of know or we've heard of or they they have other podcasts stuff like that me and jeremy are making jokes about like v triggers like all the knees being v triggers yeah, and the back elbows being juice effects yeah i don't know if, have we said that on the show before so, I, so we have this new thing, guys. Anytime anyone hits any sort of back elbow, we're like Judas effect, Judas effect, <laughs> and like these other people from other like uh, shows were like dying, and I'm like, you guys are gonna steal our shit. Like, <laughs> so if you're listening to any other podcast, you start hearing them talking about guys hitting V triggers when it's not a V trigger, or guys hitting Judas effects. Just know who started that, where they got that from. <laughs> uh, yeah, but. Also, meeting some so many other listeners. I mean, Jar the Peanut. That was five stars. Being those guys, that was so cool to hang out with them. I mean, we've had people. Somebody walked up to us when we were checking in at press the press conference. This guy was like, "Oh, you guys are keeping a strong style. Like, I listen to you guys all the time. Thank you for so much what you do." Um, and we had we had somebody that was like um, a different person that was like, "You guys are the reason why I like started watching New Japan again and there's people in the media that were like I'm a huge fan of you guys you're the reason I got into this and they're they're covering the show and they're like yeah I started listening when you guys started the show and I'm like wow you know um we met uh like Karen from the um fan meetup and you know she we, we got photos hung out that was cool yeah I mean he's right here in Orlando we're planning out we're probably gonna meet up when she gets back I think she's in Japan now I saw on her 
Twitter. So yeah, whenever she comes back, I think we'll be hanging out and and like great photographers, um, like you said, like Issa, mm-hmm. uh, good friend Lisa, um, the the guy that uh, Steve, Steve, I think his Steve, name was. Yep, yep Stephen Wright. Yeah, Ton, tons, man, just so many people. Like we can't even name them all, but like, we, and of course, you know, we were hanging out with Damon and uh, Lanza, and uh, you know, even I hit up Lanza after the show on Here's Twitter. What I want to know. Those dudes, those dudes were like, well, so we're in, we're impressed, and then they're like, they, they start talking about like they might have had some special connections, some other special seatings. Don't know what that means. They're like, we'll be right back. Never came back. <laughs> okay. So, so that was that was cool. <laughs> but no, yeah, we I had a great time, you know, chatting with those guys and hanging out with them. Here's one thing I will say: a uh, couple couple final thoughts on the show. Um, I had such a good time this whole weekend. I the only thing I wish is that I could convey how honored I felt the whole time um, that we got to do this, and then how much I enjoyed the show. The show was so enjoyable and so fast paced that it was over before I even realized it started. Like it, mm-hmm. that's the one thing. It just like it it went by too quick. Yeah, it did. Like it was just it was just over, and we're like, all right, well, I guess we're done. <laughs> and it's like I I I'm having trouble conveying, you know, because I'm not gonna sit here and say it was the best show I've ever been to or anything like that but I like it was just such an enjoyable it's an easy watch it was like if you turned on New Japan World and you just watch one of these really good G1 nights where you just enjoy it and it goes by real quick and you and you're there it was like that but a little bit extra because of the setting because of the fans because of the pageantry around it and this is a special night yeah it's a great night so oh one other thing I am learning that there are completely different types of fan bases that follow New Japan. Like I know that many of the listeners that that like us and and listen to our show and thank you guys for listening. We don't all agree on the same stuff and many of you have different varying opinions from me and Jeremy. I mean Jeremy have varying uh, opinions. But at the same time like I think me and I think you and I are a particular type of fan. We're like we are like pro wrestling like like we're hooked you yeah know what I mean? yeah there are people who are i would say pro wrestling fans but they're like into the characters of new japan and how do i put this like to me if new japan like to like a year from now was like miyahara and elgin and like cage and like and lij was gone and bull club was gone because i've watched New Japan for so long. I would still, I would still love this. Maybe I'm a little bit of a homer to New Japan, mm-hmm. I guess. But it's not because I, I'm, I'm like just into the company. But I, I like the tradition. I like the, I like so many things that New Japan offers. I think there's a lot of fans that we ran into that are not that way. They're like, we are diehard Lij fanboys, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, like I've heard of you guys, but I've never, <laughs> I've never interacted with you before, you know, and like, or. People that are like, or like those diehard elite fans that used to be here, you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there are all like, there's such a cross intersection. There's like fans who are like, you know, comic book fans, and fans who are like movie buffs, and fans who are like really into K pop, and all these other things that have like, and like video games that have like drawn them in some way to New Japan, and they're not just strictly pro wrestling fans you know what i mean mm-hmm. like many of them do watch other pro wrestling but many of them that i'm learning like they don't 
Like this is their product, mm-hmm. and that's so different for me because that's like you know we're watching everything. Everything, yeah. So that's very. It, it, it's such a unique experience to find out like that there are these fans out there that are like, oh no, I watch for Naito. And, like, it's not a disingenuous, like, Naito's my favorite wrestler, but, you know, I don't really watch him. No, they're like, no, like, I watch for Naito. Like, <laughs> I watch for Okada. You know yeah, what I mean? Like, yeah. there are, like, chaos, like, like fanboys. Like, it's it's so – or, like, fangirls. You know, it's so different. I'm not used to that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so it's real interesting going to these shows and, like, meeting these people. And, yeah, and just interacting and seeing the different, like, ways they interact with the product. And, like, there's a lot of, like, I wouldn't say there's a lot of girls, but, you know, because there's not, but there's a lot more women that were at this show than I'm used to Mm -hmm. at almost any other wrestling show. Like, most shows we go to, there are some girls that are fans, but a lot of the girls that are there are, like, there because they're boyfriends. Mm -hmm. Here, it's like, no, they're, like, drawn to, like, the K-pop, like, idol element of, like, L.I.J. or, like, Show and Yo or, like... All these kind of nuanced things that New Japan offers that are attractive to, like, girls that aren't just a male-centric product. Right. And And I never think of that sort of stuff. Right. And we were getting some great insight from the Georgia girls, you know, uh, Megan, Rachel, Jennifer, and Lauren. You know, they're big into K-pop and just, you know, they love kind of like – they're saying the whole thing with K-pop. You know, you get to, like, know these bands and, like, their backstories and all these – like character traits and like so it's great when they're they were kind of saying like new japan does that and they need to do do more of it i never even think of that you know because what i think of is like okay ishii and shibata gonna go in there they're gonna elbow each other in the face like ishii says all i want to do is smash oh oh my god oh so you guys so when we were at the media conglomerate we're talking to ishii every answer that he talked about he's like i just want to go in there i want to win and i want to smash opponents and i looked over at jeremy i was like my boy trying to smash But, um, yeah, they, they, there are these other, or like Taichi. There are like diehard Taichi fans, and like I met some of them, and they like love him. And I'm like, I didn't know you, I like, I, I knew these people kind of existed, but like they're so, they're invested in like these character elements of New Japan that we kind of just cover, but it's not like our true investment. Like we're invested in like the in ring action, I think, more than anything else. Mm-hmm. Not that they aren't, but I think to them, that's almost secondary. So it's funny when you talk to non-New Japan fans who are like, they don't have stories, they don't have characters, it's all, it's too sports-centric. But then you talk to these other fans who like, the wrestling's great, and they, they stay for the wrestling, but they come for the characters and the stories. And right. It's so different, so that's really cool. So for the tournament rankings so far, we have Lance Archer with two points, Fale with two points, Sonata, Kenta, and Okada all with two points, one and O. Oh. Lance Archer, your point leader on the scoreboard <laughs> right now. Uh, then we have uh, Saber, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Evil, and Will Ospreay, 0-1 oh with zero points. Uh, question here from Twitter from at Calf67, and she wants to know, who was the wrestler that impressed you the most on the G1 first night. Anyone surprise you by how good they are when you are there in person compared to through a screen? What are your thoughts? So I would say the one person that surprised me by how good they were, I would say I would go with Lance Archer. Like, I know Archer is good. I know he is athletic. But to me, I felt like he was on a different level in that match with Osprey. And just came off looking like such a superstar. And I was just really um, impressed by him. 
Um, yep, I, I would agree with you. I think, you know, the easy answer would be like, who's the most impressive? It's like, well, Okada, uh, Will Ospreay. But if you're talking about who really impressed us, I would agree with you. I'd say Lance Archer. The other person I would have to go with is Kenta. Mm. Real, real, real impressive. And that's everybody was great this night, but I would have to go with Kenta just because he did show a lot of that old fire. That was really great. Um, and But I thought Lance Archer was just fantastic that night. Yeah, and like comparing to through a screen, I mean, I think, I mean, to me in person and on a screen, you know, the, like guys like Osprey, I mean, it's still kind of the same for me, I guess. Like he's as great watching here in the dojo compared to watching him live. I mean, it is breathtaking him seeing him do like the stuff live. Um, One thing I will say, I love watching wrestling live, but New Japan's video presentation is of such a high caliber that there are many times that I would look up at the screen because they did have it on the Titan Tron. And um, I was like, ooh, that's such a great visual. Ooh, that's so, such a great visual. I think that they add and make matches look even better on television than maybe it. And we had a fantastic seats. Mm-hmm. And I have a strong feeling that you actually can get almost a better feel for how good a match is, the way it's presented on TV, just because their um, their camera work is so great and it's getting better in the U.S. as well. Um, the last person I got to say is Tanahashi, though, because we've seen Tanahashi plenty of times. We've, we've never seen Tanahashi in a singles match before in, in a main event, I don't think. Not in a main event. I mean, we saw him against um, Saber at Oh, that's right. We did MSG. see it. Yep, yep, we did. Yeah, and this was better than that. That was great, too, but this was better than that. So seeing, seeing um, Tanahashi at the top level, and I don't know how many more times we're going to see that in America, uh, that, was really, that was really great. Yep. And then a similar question from Dan Coffin. He said, "Which whose performance uh, Saturday was most impressive? Again, I'm, I'm going with uh, Lance Archer on that one. I would go Archer. I mean, you could also make the argument for Ome- – um, sorry, Omega uh, – for Osprey just because he got – not to say Archer didn't carry his weight because he definitely did. But the fact that, you know, he had that fantastic dance partner to guide him through, like that's big – that's really impressive. Um, we also had a question from Kyle at FireDog1984. What was your favorite match of the night? My favorite match of the night was Okada and Tanahashi. That's Okada and Tanahashi. Yeah, I mean this – the, the history behind that rivalry and how important it is to, to today's product. And just the fact that we were seeing it there live and how hyped the crowd was from before the bell even rang. It was just a special moment. Something that you just, if you weren't in the building, you might not quite grasp it or understand it. But being there live and watching that and soaking that in and soaking that moment in and that stare down and then the whole matchup, like, like it was just it was great. There was a moment at the end of the match when they were going to close the sequence and there's this drunk guy um, who had a – he had such a – if you're listening, he, he was wearing a Kenta shirt and it said kick everybody and it was like an old school Kenta shirt. It was freaking cool. I wanted it. <laughs> but he was like uh, in the next section over from us and he was standing up and he was being super loud, but in a good way. And he was like, this is the freaking greatest rivalry of the last 10 years. You people should be standing up and applauding right now. <laughs> and like we're impressed. So I couldn't do it, but he got me so hyped. I looked over him. I started pointing at him and I was like, yes, that's what this guy is saying. Um, for those of you who don't know, if you're a newer fan, and you've never seen the series between these guys, and you're only, uh, you know, 
you won't even those of you who've been watching since Wrestle Kingdom 9 you need to go back and watch this series you need to go back to their first match when Tanahashi beat Okada when Okada was a young lion and then watch their match from when uh, Okada came back from excursion and start there you need to see the entire series to understand that this is what revolutionized New Japan Pro Wrestling mm-hmm. and brought them to the worldwide stage. This is the most important series of matches in the last decade. And not only that, this is the greatest modern rivalry of our time, of our generation, in any promotion, period. No other two wrestlers... I mean, you could you could make an argument for like maybe say Flair and Steamboat. Most of that didn't make tape. If you want to talk from a generation when we can see big main events on tape, no two wrestlers have put together as many like match of the year level matches back to back to back in a, a period of time as Okada Tanahashi. This is what this is why they're at, they're at where they're at. Now that's not to diminish everyone else's contributions because it's team effort. But this is the feud and the rivalry that has brought them to the world stage. Yep. And so, yeah, it's just awesome being able to see it live. Next question from Reddit user Brian James Interactive. He says, the international shows must have huge overheads in comparison to home soil events. So the softer, more long-term impacts seem an interesting area. Do you think the grandeur and international factor for the actual wrestlers play a part in New Japan running these shows to maintain current talent and potentially attract new talent? If so, how much of it plays a part versus making immediate money? Okay, so a couple things here. I think what he's saying is like a lot of wrestlers want to be on a worldwide stage and they they don't want to just be seen as working just Japan, but that they're working on a large level. And so I think what he's saying there is like, do you think that international factor, meaning like the fact that they're running shows abroad, is an enticing thing to keep, to bring people to be signed to New Japan, especially like Gaijin talent? There's definitely probably an element to that as well. I don't know how much overhead there is in comparison to home soil events. You're probably right in that assumption, but I'm not going to say for sure because I don't know what kind of deals these guys have. Um, I don't know what the costs are involved. I'm sure – actually, I'm sure with just travel alone, you, it probably is more expensive. Right. But I don't know how much more expensive that is, especially since they don't do it overly often. You know what I mean? Um, do they make more money on this than domestically in Japan? I don't know. But it's helping them get inroads into new markets, which is very important for their long-term viability. So it is a trade-off. It's like, does it cost more in the short term so that they can make more long-term? Maybe. Uh, There are those who are concerned, though, that with them running so many shows abroad, and I know I I voiced this concern the last couple weeks where it's like, well, they still have a lot of inroads to make in their own home country to this day. And is that, you know, kind of handicapping them in their own country and that Long term, that could also be the case. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a very interesting question. I definitely do think that... It's a good question. Yeah, I, I definitely do think that that international factor does um, come in effect. And I definitely, you know, like you mentioned, a lot of the Gaijin guys. I mean, we've seen, you know, we just had the Elite League, but we're, a bunch of Gaijins are coming in. Robbie Eagle is here. We've got El Phantasmo. 
um, John Moxley, you know, Chris Jericho still around. Um, you know, these guys are coming in. They want the to be able that the world stage. They want to compete in Japan. They want to compete in the United States. They want to compete in Australia. They want to compete in London. So I do think doing these international shows, it does kind of raise the profile of New Japan and kind of helps the credibility. And, you know, I would say that it does, you know, keep talent there and attract new talent because it's a another opportunity. It's a different place that can work that has um, worldwide access. Um, as far as, like, the making immediate money, like you said, like, we're not really privy to what they make on these international shows compared to what they make domestically. I mean, I know Although, business is great right now domestically. With Bushi Road going public, that might be one of the things we start to learn more about with the same way that, uh, I don't know this to be a fact, but with WWE, they have those quarterly calls. We might start to see what the impact of these shows really is long term when they start doing those. If that is, um, but although it's Bushi Road, and so I don't know how much they're going to go into the individual properties like New right. Japan, but I, I got to imagine we're going to learn something from those calls. Yeah, most likely. So yeah, so we'll keep our eyes on that in the future. So we have um, three nights of G1 action coming up between now and the next show. Which um, it's going to be Saturday, July thirteenth, um, Sunday, July fourteenth, and then Monday, July fifteenth. So we have got we got three shows back to back to back, and that's already a stacked weekend with a bunch of other big shows: UFC, Fight for the Fallen, uh, Extreme Rules, Extreme Rules, the Evolve show. Um, yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot going on that weekend um, for sure. Uh, I did want to. I, I wanted to bring this up to the listeners. Um, before we before we go over these cards real quick, I am so in my career I work uh, in asset consolidation. I work for a financial uh, conglomerate and I help people with retirement accounts. I'm currently studying for my licensing, which is a very strenuous um, process. I just started it, and I'm on a very very regimented um, study schedule, and it's. It's extremely demanding and very, very difficult. I just started and it's it's more than I thought it was going to be. And I'm on a very strict timetable. And it just so happens that it falls literally during the same period of time as the G1, which is like a nightmare scenario for me because we have to keep up with this. Chances are I'm going to do my best to watch as much of the G1 as possible. But I'm going to be honest with you guys, just in full disclosure and transparency, I'm probably not going to see all of this. Um, and if I do, I'll be catching up late, maybe even after recordings in some cases. Um, obviously, I've got Jeremy here, and Jeremy's going to be able to tell me what to check out, what what to watch, what maybe to avoid. Um, there's a good chance over the neck over the course of this six week tournament, we're going to have a lot of guests though, um, just to kind of help us break things up. Um, we've in the past there have been times where you guys have loved some of our guests. Like I know people love it when Rich is on. They loved it when we had Amy O on. There have been other times where like, we like it when it's just you guys and because they like the dynamic we have. But the reason we're going to be having so many guests is because the truth is I cannot keep up with the G1 this year. It's it's going to be an impossibility for me, um, but I'm going to do my best. So we will have people who will be helping us to kind of um, carry the load of the viewing with this as well. Yep. So yeah, we'll, we'll make sure to bring on some of your favorites. I know several of you have hit me up and said you want Rich back on, so... We'll definitely have Rich Ladder on in the future. Nah, nah. <laughs> Everybody but Rich. You know why? 
Because Rich Latta, <laughs> you can go to hell. <laughs> oh, man. So um, let's real quick. We got three G1 Climax shows coming up. So on Saturday, July 13th, we have the first night of the B Block. And we have Juice Robinson versus Shingo Takagi. Who do you got there? Oh, God. Um, so I didn't know we were doing the official uh, picks here uh, or anything like that. Um, I'm just going to throw out some guesses on the air. Although I want to say I got all five of my guesses right on night one. On air. Your your bracket, though, you, you put um... – That's not my real bracket. Okay, I just want everyone <laughs> to know. So I put a bra- – I entered a bracket to our contest, and my bracket is wrong. Like I know it's wrong. I don't even think I did the math properly on it. Like it's some bullcrap. So I'm definitely not winning the Neo Geo. Um, by this time next week, I will have my like real. It's only for personal pride. It won't be entered into our contest or anything. But I'll have like my actual full bracket. But on the air right now, I'm just gonna say uh, night one. I'm gonna go Shingo. I'm also going Shingo. Just because I think he needs the the first night win against Juice. Yeah. Yeah, to kind of establish him and yep. get him going. Then we have John Moxley versus Tai Chi. I'm going Mox. I'm also going Moxley. I think uh, you know you want to have Moxley be another guy that's going strong. He's the current U.S. champion, and he's kind of coming off that big win against uh, Juice. So I think they want to continue the momentum with him. Um, after that, we have Toro Yano against tai, uh, Tetsuya Naito. I'm going Naito here. I'm going to go Naito as well. I mean, they could they could upset him. Pull that crazy, you know. The first nights of these tournaments usually have an upset. You know, the Archer went over. I think, I think Shingo is an upset, though. I, I I think yes, because it's a junior beating a heavyweight. But in the eyes of the fans, I don't think Shingo beating Juice is an upset. Just the way that they've been booked. I'm gonna tell you right now. I think Juice is gonna be in the top of the B block, and he'll have a better tournament than Shingo, uh, at least in point standing. Mm-hmm. But, so I and I think it's an upset, but uh, I think Naito's going to beat Yano. Yeah, same here. So then we also have uh, Tomohiro Ishii versus Jeff Cobb, and we also had a question from William Johnson saying, "How amped are you for Cobb versus Ishii? And do you think there's a legitimate chance someone can actually get bit?" Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't think Mike Tyson's fighting. So <laughs> um, I'm going to go Cobb. Ooh, I'm going Cobb. I'm going Ishii. I, I want to go Ishii. It's probably going to be Ishii. But the way I've... When I started doing my bracket, I had Cobb losing almost everything. And I think Ishii is one of the most winnable fights for him. So I gotta, I'm going to start off early and go Cobb. Okay. Because I think Cobb's going to be dropping a lot of falls to people. And I think he needs the early win. So then we have... Um, the main event of that night is going to be Hiroki Goto versus Jay White. Does um on Rich's bracket does he have Ishii going undefeated? You know I I did not look through all, <laughs> all of his answers, <laughs> so uh, I'm not sure if he did. <laughs> uh, I'm going Goto. I'm also going Goto. They, I think Goto's going to get the upset. Yeah, they, they've done a great job of kind of rebuilding Goto. The video packages, the whole stuff with him in the LA dojo. Although, how heartbreaking would that be if Goto loses to Jay White again? Dude, it would be really heartbreaking. But I I think. He's going to get the big win over Jay White here. Hey, you want to know something? Hmm. I'm most excited for Goto and Jay White that night. Mm. As many great matches as there are, and obviously Ishii and Cobb is like, that's the match that everyone's probably most excited for. But Goto and Jay White killed it on that last match they had during, what was that, Kazuna Road? 
No, wasn't that was it Sengoku Lord? Yeah, yep, Sengoku Lord. Um, isn't that part of like the Kazuna Road tour though, right? It's in that whole that time frame, yeah. Time frame, yeah. That's why I I just called all Kazuna Road, but yeah, they they had a killer match, and I think Goto and Jay White have the most story behind it, and I think the crowd's really gonna be behind, be behind Goto that night. So I'm most excited for that one that night. Gotcha. So then night three takes us to Sunday, July 14th. The A Block will be back in action. We will have Lance Archer versus Bad Luck Fale. And there goes all the goodwill that Lance Archer <laughs> built in Dallas. <laughs> um, yeah, these guys, this has all the potential to be the worst match of the tournament, at least especially in the A Block. Um, these guys did have a New Japan Cup match that I hated uh, last year. And I don't expect this to be much better. Right. Uh, hopefully they'll have a lot of smoke and mirrors. Maybe we'll get some, you know, Bullet Club and Suzuki Goon run-ins. And... I think it's a pick'em. I think it's really a pick'em. I, it could go either way. And I'm going to go Fale. Uh, I'm going Archer. I want to go Archer, but I'm just going to go Fale because it's New Japan. <laughs> then we have Will Ospreay versus Sonata. This is a tough one. Um, on the air, I'll just go Osprey. I don't know how I really will have it booked on my bracket, but I'll just go Osprey. I'm also going Osprey. You know, he took that big loss to Archer. I think he kind of needs to rebound. Sonata has a win over Saber, so I think it'd be kind of great to have both of those guys be one on one after this night. So then we have uh, Kazuchika Okada versus Zack Saber Jr. So I had been predicting that Saber Jr. was going to beat Okada in this tournament. I, for, I didn't realize it was happening so early. It's just the second night of the A block, um, night three overall. And it seems very early for Okada to, to take a big win that has long-standing meaning. There is a concern on my part that that means Zach's not going to get the win here. It is interesting, though, that Okada's knee was attacked so extensively. Yeah, during the, when he was, remember when it, during the knees, I was like, I think Sabre's going to target the knees in the next match. Yep, you pointed that out to me. And I was th- I was kind of thinking that too. So I would say during the um, during night two, in the tag match, look for Zack Saber to attack those knees and target them and create a, a soft spot for their match here. I'm st- I'm gonna go Zack Saber Jr. I'm gonna uh, go Saber Jr. But I am feeling way less positive about it than I previously was. I'm going Saber Jr. Also, I really think that the Royal Quest match. And they've been talking about it so much now. I really think it's going to be Saber Okada at Royal Quest. It's also possible that Saber loses, but there's some sort of heat between them or some sort of um, incident that incites a cause for a match down the line, and Okada still gets the two points. I could see that being a possibility. Yeah. So then we have Kota Ibushi versus Evil. Very interesting because both guys are coming in with zero wins. Um, I'm going to go Ibushi. I'm also going Ibushi. I feel like he's a guy that definitely is going to be towards the top of that block and needs to kind of rebound after that ass whooping he got from Kenta. And then um, in the main event, we have uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kenta. Tanahashi coming in with no wins. Kenta, you know, coming in with two two wins after that dominant victory over Kota Ibushi. This is one of the biggest matches of the tournament. Um, Tanahashi and Kenta being almost contemporaries in age. And both being at the top of their perspective, uh, respective companies at similar times, Tanahashi being the young ace in New Japan in the early 2000s, Kenta being the young ace of a failing Noah in the mid 2000s as well, kind of you know following the peak with uh, 
you know, uh, Kobashi and Mizawa and those guys and him and Marafuji not being able to kind of draw those same numbers, but them being contemporaries. This is sort of a dream match that people, I don't think it's ever happened before. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure they've never faced. Um, and I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen here. Is this going to be like a thing where, is it going to be like Triple H and Sting where like they got to put their, <laughs> they got to put, put their boy over their old competition? Oh my um, gosh. But I think I'm going Kenta. So on my bracket, I went with Tanahashi initially. But seeing how Kenta whooped on Abushi, I'm like, he might whoop him on the ace. Chief. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm going to go with my bracket, and I'm going to go with Tanahashi winning. I I really need to work out my bracket and finish it up. Um I wouldn't be surprised if Tanahashi hits a high five flow and gets the one, two, three over Kenta. There's no um, shame in that at all, especially in a G1. But right now, I'm going to go Kenta. Gotcha. So then on Monday, July 15th, the B block is back in Does this action. mean we're not recording until next Tuesday? Uh, I don't know. We haven't talked about it. I don't know if this is something where we could watch these tournament matches before we record or we need to hold off. I don't think I'll be able to. Gotcha. So we'll, we'll hold off until Tuesday. So we will probably be dropping our show next week on Wednesday. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that Wednesday next week. Um, but the first match of the night, Toriyano versus Shingo Takagi. Uh, Ooh, that's a tough one. I'm going to say Shingo. Yeah, I'm also going Shingo. Something's tingling in the back of my neck saying it might be Toriyano. <laughs> I mean, that would be an upset, and it could be one of those things where Shingo's underestimating him, and Yano catches him. Yeah, I'm going to go Shingo, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with Shingo also. Uh, then we have uh, Juice Robinson versus Hiroki Goto. Always an excellent match. The, the, the history between Juice and Goto is well documented. Um, they've got a lot of history. So, I mean, yeah, fighting over the IC belt and the Never belt. Um, I'm going to go Juice here. I'm going Goto. Hmm. Okay. Then we have um, Jeff Cobb against John Moxley. Real interesting match. Um, I'm going Mox. Yeah, I'm going Mox also. I don't know how good that's going to be. I hope it's good, but that's a weird matchup to me. Yeah. It'll be, it'll be yeah, very interesting to see how that match plays out. Ooh, Ishii and Jay White's the semi-main event. Yeah, I'm going uh, Jay White here. I'm going Jay as well. So on my bracket, that means Ishii's uh, 0-4 at that point. Yeesh. <laughs> uh, and then the main event... Tetsuya Naito versus Tai Chi. I just hope it's better than their new beginning match. Although the new beginning match got good, all the shenanigans, that was a very uh, divisive match. Um, I'm going to go Naito. I'm going to go Tai Chi. I think when I was doing my bracket, I think I picked Tai Chi. I think that, that, that this is one where I could actually see the upset for sure. So mm-hmm. I, I don't think you're off base at all. I feel, you know, they've Naito's beaten him twice now already. I think, you know, they've been pushing Tai Chi and trying to making him a legitimate heavyweight. I think here's a night. It's the main event of the show. I think he's going to get that big win over Naito. Let's make this agreement. By the time next week comes up, we will have both of our brackets completely done, and we will stick to those. Those will always be our predictions so we can see exactly where we're at with this thing. Yeah, I mean, and I've been reading off my bracket, so I haven't... I will... Okay, so even though I'm making these these uh, things on the air, I'm going to have my bracket done before Saturday, July 13th, and then we can kind of reference how well I did based off that. And those will be my final picks for the whole for the whole thing. Gotcha. All right, so that's the 
shows that will be happening for the next time we record. Let's uh, close out the show with the news. So we already talked about Fighting Spirit Unleashed Tour was announced. They're going to be running shows in Boston, New York at the Hammerstein Ballroom, and then in Philly at the, uh, what's it called? The, the, the 2300 Arena. 23, the ECW Arena. Mm-hmm. Um, they also made an announcement that Tiger Hattori will be uh, refereeing his final match at the Hammerstein Ballroom um, show. Uh, some other confirmations that we've gotten regarding... Well, it says it's a countdown to his retirement. Oh, so they're doing, like, the Inoki thing. <laughs> <laughs> so he's going to be retiring for, like, five years. Yeah. Gotcha. So, but that will probably be one of... It'll probably be his, definitely his last refereed match in New York. Maybe the last one in America. Yeah. Um, and if you guys don't know about Tiger Hattori's long history, uh, you know, he, he, he was the head uh, referee in New Japan forever. And, I mean, you know, when you guys think Red Shoes, us older fans, we think Tiger. Yeah. Yeah. And in the later years, he's been a big help um, as far as the, you know, kind of expansion in the Western, uh, Western expansion, a lot of, you know, ne- negotiating over in the States and negotiating with, like, the Gaijin talent and stuff like that, too. Um, the, there have been confirmations, though, that with this tour, which is in September of this year, there will be no Ring of Honor involvement. So, which is very interesting because these three arenas, Lowell Memorial Auditorium, Hammerstein Ballroom, Ballroom, and the 2300 Arena, those are three big Ring of Honor cities, Ring of Honor venues. Um, so you would think that with their relationships that they would use them, but no, it's going to be a strictly New Japan tour. Now, there have been some reports of Japanese fan backlash, and it kind of goes to that question that was asked earlier on the show about you know, the implications, uh, shout out to Imp, uh, <laughs> the damn implications of them running so many shows here in the U.S. And I think that um, a few weeks ago, some of these um, Japanese fan opinions started to kind of uh, trickle in over to stateside because the Super J Cup was announced and we've, we've had quite a few U.S. tours this year. And then this one being announced so soon, especially right after the first night of the G1 in Dallas... There are people who are um, concerned that the travel is going to be bad for the wrestlers. The travel might lead to, um, you know, injuries and overhead costs for New Japan and also alienate them from their um, core fan base in Japan. Um, I don't know. You know, we don't have a lot of interactions with Japanese fans or like the, the, the whole populace. So I don't know if this is like just a very minor vocal like a vocal minority of fans who feel this way or if this is something that is a strong felt opinion throughout the fan base i i can't say but the fact that we're starting to get translated tweets from fans over there does say something yeah um we had um, a couple questions here one from uh zachary shallow on twitter he says hello first time coming for your show what do you think of NJPW announcing the September shows, and will you be at any of them? Any chance to meet listeners? So, first part, what do we think about the September shows? I think that it's really cool. Um, we have been talking for a long time about them running uh, the East Coast. After they did the big show in um, MSG, you would think that they would have already started to run shows in the East Coast to kind of try and capitalize off of uh you know, or piggyback off the success of that show. Mm-hmm. And it seems like now that's what they're looking to do here. And, you know, we've talked about how they've had diminished ticket sales in the Long Beach, California area because they've been there so many times. But when they go to these new markets, they do big business. These are three 
great arenas yeah. with great fans. These are great wrestling cities. These are legendary arenas. So I think this was a great move by New Japan. Those tickets are going to sell. I'm telling you right now, they're going to sell all three of those shows out, and it's it's going to be quick. Yeah. Um, will we be at any of them? Right now, that's kind of TBA. Uh, honestly, I wasn't really planning on TBA or DTA. Don't trust anyone. <laughs> uh, you know, at first I was. I know I was like, you know what, G1 in Dallas is gonna be my last travel show for the year, out of state. Uh, I'm gonna be good. And then they played that freaking video with <laughs> this tour. So I don't know. We gotta see. Here's the thing. I want to go. I also want to know what the card is before I make any decisions. And we're not going to know until, like, right away. And so right. I probably won't be going because of that. We'll see. Also, you know, if there are press opportunities, we, I don't know if this is something that's going to end up on Access, any of these shows. Um, so if there's a way for us to get press, I will definitely be there. Well, we do have connections to the to New Japan's press as well. Yeah. So Or to their PR. So that's a possibility. And if it doesn't end up being both me and Jeremy, hypothetically, let's say it's just Jeremy, we have other great media members of uh, Social Suplex that might be able to do coverage on this, um, who I think are based out of that area as well. So we'll have to see. Um, right. We would love to meet you guys, though, for sure. And thank right. you for the questions, Zach. If we go, we'll definitely try and plan some kind of meetup. And similar question from our boy uh, Maserati. He says, are you guys going to do another meetup when NJPW Global comes to New York? It just all depends. Like, I don't know. If I go to one of these shows, it might not be the New York show. I might, I might go to Philly. I might go to Boston. So not 100% sure. If wherever we go, we'll definitely try and do either before, right before the show or the day before the show some kind of meetup. If, if we end up doing something, you guys will know about it, though. You'll be the first to know. Um, moving on, we so um, this past week on Wrestling Observer Radio – uh, Dave Meltzer did uh, interviews with Lance Archer leading up to the G1 uh, in Dallas. And then when he was in Dallas, he got exclusive interviews with Ibushi and Jushin Thunder Liger, who were two uh, members of the roster that we did not get to uh, interview during the media scrum. Uh, Archer and Liger were supposed to be there, but we ran out of time. They had other obligations, so we ended up mm-hmm. not getting any press with them. But he did do interviews with uh, all three of those guys um, at different times and. Uh, if you haven't listened to them, they're on Wrestling Observer Radio. Very, very, very good interviews. There was a moment, though, during the Ibushi interview where he asked him had he seen the Omega Man documentary. And it gets real quiet on the audio. Have you heard this yet? No, I haven't had a chance to hear those yet. Oh, bro. So he, he asks him if he's heard if he's been able to watch the Omega Man documentary. And Ibushi gets quiet. And he's like, uh, and he's like, uh, what is that? And he's and like they tell him what it is. He's like, oh no, I I don't know. I haven't seen it. And it gets real awkward. You can tell everyone's kind of stumbling over the words. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, and then at one point, Abushi's like, well, I was aware that they were obviously I was aware that they were taping something, but I have I don't know about it. I haven't seen it. And so on the next Observer, Dave Meltzer basically said that from what he to follow up on that, he's been told that like AEW. Kenny Omega, the Bucks, Cody, any Tony Khan, all that are completely taboo subjects when you're talking from the press to, um, you know, New Japan. Not that they're going to tell you not to say those things as press members because they wouldn't do that. Mm-hmm. But they've all the talent have been told not to address it, not to talk about it, not to discuss it. And uh, Dave and Garrett on the one of the latest observers, they were like, dude, they're like the audio does not 
accurately convey just how tense and how awkward things got. As soon as he asked him about Kenny, they're like his face like completely changed and the translator like freaked out <laughs> and, and no one knew what to do. And like yeah. everyone was, and um, Dave was like, you know, I wasn't even asking him about AEW. I was just asking him about the, the documentary the that documentary. he's featured in. Yeah. And he was like, but, and he's like, I, I kind of expected some hesitancy, but I didn't think it would be like this. And he was like, it, everything shifted. And he was like, basically with New Japan, they're not talking about AEW at all. Which, by the way, I want to talk about this. So we did have a, a comment this past week uh, about why were we talking about AEW so much last week. Um, let's be clear. We're not an AEW podcast. If you guys want to get AEW coverage, we have a great show here on the network, All Things Elite, with our boy Floyd Johnson. Um, and you guys can catch them each week. However, in the news, time to time, there will be times where we talk about things outside of New Japan. If nothing for any other reason but to discuss the overall um, state of the wrestling industry. Like, for instance, last week we did briefly discuss what was going on with WWE and AEW with their conflicting shows. I only wanted to discuss that, A, because we had Chris Bryan on here and he is our indie guy and they're talking about Evolve, so I thought it was fitting. But also because, guys, these tactics, running shows against one another with Vince and all that, that stuff's going to be affecting New Japan as well. And we so like I don't want our podcast to just be in the bubble where we only talk about New Japan. We're not going to spend a lot of time on it, but from time to time we're going to discuss those things. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing too is like we are going to talk about Mox and Jericho because the, they are New Japan contracted. Wrestlers. They're New Japan contract guys, which that's what's real interesting about this AEW thing. It's like they can't talk about AEW, but then they've got two talent who are signed from AEW working for them. It's a very very strange thing. Yeah, very interesting. Um, also, this past week, there was an interview with Kenta on NJPW1972.com. It's a two-part interview. You guys can definitely check that out, talking about his goals, his dreams, his aspirations, and the difference between working here and uh, for WWE. I, I took a look at it. It was real good. Um, the free match of the week is Hiroki Goto versus Kazushiko Okada from G125, so four years ago. It's the free match of the week. And um, shout-out to Murray uh, Muzza. He uh, told me, well, he asked me this morning, he was like, at the time, Goto was the IC champion, uh, Okada was the IWGB champion. He's like, have those two champions ha- ever faced one another in the G1 prior to this or after? And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm, I'm at work. Like, look it up. <laughs> and then he hit me back up and he was like, nope, this is the only time ever. I am wondering if the reason that they put this, because Goto and Okada are not in the same block and... Usually they put these types of matches up to kind of allude to to a storyline within mm-hmm. what's going on, and the IC champ and the IWGP champ are not in the same block either. I'm wondering if the reason that they put this up is because of the Naito storyline of IC champ versus IWGP champion. Mm. That's my feeling. That's breadcrumbs. Breadcrumbs, guys. Oh man. Um. Uh, they put out a new recount, a uh, two-part video, the history of the G1 Climax. Did you see both of those? I saw the first one. I've only seen the first one. It was really good. Yeah, I, I didn't realize the second one dropped until um, later today. But, um, yeah, I watched the first one, and it was great, especially – I mean, you've kind of already told me this stuff, but still a guy like me who's you know still playing catch-up on some of the history and just seeing it all laid out with footage and voiceovers – it's just a great visual and a great learning tool, and it's a great way to learn the history of New Japan 
learn the history of the G1 Climax and it's stuff, you know, people will ask us questions and you chime in and it's just backing up the stuff that you're saying, just showing um, just the history of the New Japan. Yeah, backing up the stuff I'd be saying. <laughs> oh, gosh. Because I could be saying some bullshit and no one would really know, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, be like, oh, that sounds good. Josh. That sounds good, yeah. That's what we're talking about. But yeah, the stuff, pretty much everything there is stuff that you've mentioned anytime people have asked and so just validation of your knowledge and just the history of New Japan. Um, also, if you guys don't know, NJPW1972.com puts up uh, This Week in Pro Wrestling History every week, and it gives a rundown of things that have happened in their company's history in the past, and that's a really cool tool, and you guys should be checking that out every week. The, the NJPW1972 website, while it's not the easiest to navigate for Westerners, it's way better than what we used to have, and it's they've, got, they've been adding a lot of resources for Western fans, which is pretty Yeah, cool. they upload a lot of content. Uh, speaking of which... They have a new tool on NJPW World. It's called the Timeline Tool, and it is this huge timeline of events starting in 1972 up to modern time. And when you and it's literally a timeline. And each individual event, if you click on it, it's a video link to where you can find it on the NJPW or on the NJPW World uh, website to watch the events. Really, really cool tool. Uh, I like it a lot. Have you seen that? Yeah, Amy sent it over in our uh, social suplex uh, message group. And yeah, it's a really cool tool. Um, the, the Wrestle Kingdom 14 international presale uh, went live uh, this week. Uh, I know, like, friend of the show, Jamie, he's got tickets uh, set up for that. So if you're, um, you know, on the lookout for those tickets, the presale has already started. And I think the international sale will be, you know, shortcoming as well. Um, there was news that for Wrestle Kingdom 14 that they have announced that there will be a special uh, seating section for women, for women's safety. Um, I don't know too much about this, but I, I know that people are talking about it in our group. Yeah, I saw the announcement. Um, I didn't really read too much into it. Um, I haven't really seen much reaction. I, I mean, I've seen some um, like girl followers excited about it. And just, you know, sometimes, you know, they have... Girls have bad experience with, with guys that shows, and they kind of like just being in their own section. Um, so, yeah, I don't know really much more about why they're doing it. Or that's a pretty, I, I guess, maybe to just like let women enjoy wrestling in an environment where they feel safe and yeah. all that, which is cool. Although, like, I don't know, like, I kind of want to meet like a Mark chick and like, you know fall in love and like have, rest, <laughs> have wrestling babies you know what I'm saying it kind of makes it hard if they're all in their own like section but no I think it is for like safety I think that they're they that's part of their culture over there I heard that like on the subways and things like that they also have like safe areas like yeah. that so that's a good thing um, in other news um, so the announcement came out this week that Joey Janela will be facing Tamatanga at the Defy Super uh, 8 um, wrestling event, which I think is taking place the next day after the Tacoma event uh, for the Super J Cup. So that's an interesting matchup. That's a really interesting matchup. Uh, those seem like two styles that really wouldn't mesh well together, but I, I want to see it, though. I want to see it, too. I don't know what to expect there. Um, this past week, uh, during the uh, New Japan press conference, obviously John Moxley was not part of the press conference. He was not part of the D G1 in Dallas event. Uh, either, however, he did make a special appearance at FSW in Vegas. Uh, Killer Cross put out a special challenge to anyone in the back, and um, uh, a unadvertised John Moxley made his way out and had an impromptu match with Killer Cross, which is interesting because Killer Cross is from Impact and um, he's wrestling somewhere else too. 
Impact um, and... In AAA. And AAA. Although, wasn't he, like, trying to get out of his contract? Yeah, there were reports, uh, I believe it was last week, a couple weeks ago, that Killer Cross was trying to get out of his Impact deal. Um, his girlfriend, um, what's her name, uh, Scar- uh, Scarlett Bordeaux, got out of her Impact deal. Uh, and so he was trying to do the same thing. Oh, he with the smoke show? Yeah, he's with the smoke show. He's with the smoke. <laughs> but um, Yeah, he was trying to get out the deal, and who knows, maybe potentially he wants to go to AEW, but I don't know. I saw Killer Cross in that amazing match with Davey Boy Smith at uh, Bloodsport WrestleMania weekend. If you guys haven't seen that, definitely check it out. But uh, this match went to a double DQ, like schmaz finish, but finish. I don't know how good it was, but real interesting. Moxley working indie dates instead of, um, you know, working the G1 stuff. I kind of thought that they would at least have a pre-recorded video from him during the press conference, maybe. But mm-hmm. they didn't even have that. So. Yeah. Uh, Taichi had, if you guys haven't heard... Tai Chi had some real interesting statements during the press conference about John Moxley. Yeah, and yeah, that press conference is up on uh, NJ, uh, yeah, NJPW World. So we reported last week that uh, Harai Kuato, also known as Kuato Sun in CMLL, defeated Awadaz for the CMLL Super Lightweight World Heavyweight or World Championship. Um, that video is now uploaded. You can watch it on um, YouTube. I haven't gotten a chance to check it out yet, but I'm hearing nothing but good things about it. Yeah, that's definitely something I want to try and uh, watch sometime this week. And then we have um, a bit of uh, bad news. So um, Lucha Libre legend, one of the all-time greats, Paraguayo Sr., passed away this past week, um, which I was blown when I heard that because I love Paraguayo. And one of the biggest all-time stars in CMLL, AAA, UWA. This was a guy that was such a big star. He, you know, kind of transcended those... um, promotional borders you know most of my memories of uh, Paraguayo are more like my vintage uh, viewings where he was in his heel phase and he was one of the all-time great heels he was like one of the he was the last guy to have a major um, program with Santo before Santo died which is what shot him into superstardom and later in life one of the biggest babyface stars he he was like the anti-hero all throughout uh you know, AAA and these different companies and Paraguayo, incredible trendsetter, awesome brawler, one of the most charismatic workers of all time. He did many, many tours in uh, New Japan and um, just just a legend. And it was so sad to hear about his passing. Yeah, I mean, I've never seen much of Paraguayo, but I've heard his name. I know what a legend he is and the impact he's had in Mexico and just how high regard everybody speaks at him. So it was definitely a, a big loss to the wrestling community um, for Paraguayo. My my favorite type of Lucha match there, you know, most people that watch Lucha nowadays, they think of the modern Lucha style where everyone, like that is popularized by guys like Psychosis and Rey Mysterio and all mm-hmm. that. But, you know, there there actually are other styles of Lucha Libre. The um, I forget what the technical term is for it, um, but the, the grappling... Uh, submission-based style that you see with like Hechicero nowadays, or even um, the you see it a lot less on the big shows, but you see it a lot on the indie shows, the Lucha Brawl style. And back in the day, my favorite Lucha matches are these matches where these guys get double juice, they brawl the two out of three. Um, L.A. Park is kind of doing that style right now. He is. He is. Him and Rush are, are like the masters of it right now. And Paraguayo is one of the greatest to ever do it. 
And it was always those big arena Mexico matches where it was hair versus hair, mask versus hair, the 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 uh, Puertas matches. And uh, Paraguayo has been in some of the most legendary of those matches, and he's an innovator of that style. And um, I love that brawling style. Yeah, I'm going to want to check out some of his matches now. So uh, very sad to hear about his passing. Also, just the other day, very shocking, uh, CMLL owner Paco Alonso passed away unexpectedly. Yeah, and uh, New Japan, they just put this up on uh, NJPW 1972. Uh, CMLL President Francisco Alonso passes away. On Saturday, July 6th, the president of Mexican promotion CMLL, Francisco Alonso passed away. He was 67. CMLL holds the distinction of being the longest-running wrestling promotion in the world. Under Alonzo's leadership, CMLL formed a partnership with New Japan Pro Wrestling in November of 2009. As a part of that relationship, the top CMLL stars have wrestled in NJPW rings every year since 2011 in the NJPW Presents CMLL Fantastica Mania Tours. Alonzo became president of the company then named EMLL in the 1980s and was a driving force behind the growth and prosperity of the promotion. His influence can be felt across the entire world of professional wrestling. New Japan Pro Wrestling would like to extend its sincere sympathies to the friends and families and fans of Francisco Alonso and CMLL. Um, very interesting to see what this means for the the future of that company. Um, I don't know too much about who's going to be taking over, but Paco Alonso was there forever. Um, you know, his family, I mean, they are the pioneers of, of that company and, uh, very interesting. So we'll keep our eyes and ears, you know, on that. Um, but uh, our condolences to the families of Paraguayo and Paco Alonso. Yeah, man, sixty-seven, man, that's young, man. Um, and then uh, last bit of bad news. So, um, New Japan alumni and pro Rezu legend Yoshiaki Yatsu um, had his leg amputated uh, this past week due to diabetes, which is very shocking because Yoshiaki Yatsu, even though he's very old, he just made his return to the ring. Like this past year. Hmm. Um, for those of you who are unfamiliar with this name, uh, Yoshiaki Yatsu is one of the seminal figures of the 80s in New Japan. And at one point, you would you could actually literally make the argument that he was a top five uh, worker in the entire world, just on fire. Uh, he was part of the revolutionary storyline that uh, involved Ricky Choshu, who we discussed last week when... Um, Ishingundan formed in the early 80s. He was part of that Ishingundan group, part of some of the greatest um, 80s matches of New Japan lore. Uh, he had a fantastic tag team with Ricky Choshu. He ended up uh, in the mid 80s leaving with the Ishingundan group and going to All Japan and uh, popping business over there. Um, he did eventually come back to New Japan, and um, at that point, things weren't the same. The thing with Yatsu is Yatsu was one of the best accomplished amateur wrestlers that um, New Japan ever had. Um, he was supposed to take part in the 84... If I have these dates right, he was... Um, coming out of high school, he was a national champion in Greco-Roman and freestyle. He was poised to go to the um, Olympics. And um, I, I believe he did make the trials and he was on the team, but then they, they ended up boycotting and not attending, so he was unable to... Uh, to compete, and he ended up becoming a member of the New Japan roster, and that's when he was a super rookie. Like he, he just picked up so fast, and he was an incredible like worker. Then, um, after the after they left for all Japan, and he came back to New Japan, he decided he wanted to in uh, try and qualify for the eighty eight games, 
which he was much older at the time. He'd been removed from competitive wrestling for quite a while. And I mean, you as a wrestler, you know how hard that is, Mm -hmm. especially later in life. And he gained a ton of weight and he actually won um, the, I believe the city, I, I don't know the technical terms, but he won the competition that qualified him to go to the world comp, like the world uh, qualifiers for Japan. So he actually beat everybody in his weight class in, in like the regionals, which was insane. And he, he was mopping people and he put on a ton of, uh, of muscle mass. He was competing in a much higher weight class than he had been previously. And he was probably going to qualify to go to the 88 games. And then the, um, the sports boards and commissions determined that he was actually a professional wrestler. Mm. And they said because he was deemed as non-amateur because he'd been wrestling in New Japan Pro Wrestling, <laughs> they disqualified him and said he could not compete. And it was one of the things that like broke his heart. It took away his dream and it did really affect uh, the rest of his wrestling. He never did come back to that prime form when he came back. But um, when you watch Yoshiaki Yatsu's like, early like 82 to like 85 work in New Japan and All Japan – one of the best guys out there. He does him, um, him and Ricky Choshu against uh, Jumbo Saruta and uh, I've always and Tenryu. They um, that's a five star match and it's one of the best tag matches of the '80s in all Japan. But um, you know, real sad to hear that his leg was amputated due to diabetes. But yeah, if you've never checked out Yatsu, you need to check that out. Yeah. Well, let's uh, end on a lighter note here with. The recommended match of the week, and I believe it is your turn uh, for the recommended match of the week. Yes, so uh, the match of the week is from the date. Uh, I actually give you the wrong date. It's August 13th, 1995, the G1 Climax. This would have been the fifth G1 Climax, and um, this G1 Climax was a much smaller tournament format than we're used to. Four-man blocks, eight competitors overall, and the match that I have chosen is Rick the nature boy, Ric Flair, Woo! taking on Kiji Muto, who at the time was the reigning IWGP heavyweight champion. And this match, um, the reason I chose it is for this reason. The only other former WWF champion to ever compete in a G1 Climax was Ric Flair. We've had other uh, WWF champions like Stone Cold Steve Austin, different people like that compete. But always prior to them winning the title... The only other person that's ever, aside from John Moxley, who we're about to see here this coming week, compete. The only person who had ever previously won it and then came back to New Japan and competed in a G1 is Ric Flair. It was during the 95 iteration. And this match, in my opinion, by far was the best showing of his um, tournament that year. And it's a very interesting match just due to the fact that Flair in 95, we all kind of know where Flair was in 95. He was Mm kind of getting phased out. Hulk Hogan had shown up. We were getting ready to go into the NWO times. At that point, they were kind of treating Flair like a mid-carder. He was wrestling guys like Eddie Guerrero and you know Pac, uh, Six Pac and different guys like that. And the Four Horsemen was kind of being phased out. And so he was definitely on the downside of his prime at this point. Whereas Kijimuto is literally in his prime. He's the ace of the company. He's the reigning IWGP champion. These two guys obviously had history uh, dating back to their Jim Crockett days in the late 80s, like 89. So they had wrestled against one another extensively. Uh, but this is, in my opinion, the best match of their um, 
you know, interactions with one another. Uh, it goes about a little over 20 minutes. It's a little long. Um, it's not the greatest match in the world, but I would still say it's a really good match. I'd go a li- maybe, but I think Dave Meltzer went about three and three quarters on it. I'd go a little higher than that, about four. It is a bloodbath. Mudo bleeds buckets in mm. this match. He's probably like a the zero, crimson mask. The, he wears the crimson mask. Zero point eight on the Mudos on the Muda scale, um, and seeing Flair, who had a long, extensive history in Japan, he wrestled. He started out his career in the IWE, and then um, all throughout the eighties, he was uh, you know wrestling with All Japan due to the fact that the NWA had uh, allegiances to them. But once WCW switched over to New Japan in the early nineties. We got to see a lot of flair in New Japan, and this is one of the best matches he ever had during the '90s, with or just in New Japan at all. And uh, it's a gem; you got to see it. Uh, it's the semifinal match. The winner of this match pretty much makes it into the finals of the G1 Climax. So big implications. Mudo at his finest, Flair on his downside, returning to form and putting on a great performance. And uh, yeah, it's really, really, really good. So if you've never seen it. Check it out, and it might give you an idea what to expect when you see a former WWF champion compete in the G1 like we're about to see with John Moxley. That's my recommended match of the week. Boom. So check that out, guys. And that's going to wrap things up for this week. Once again, I just want to thank all of you guys for checking us out, downloading. The numbers the last few weeks have been incredible. The love that we've been feeling from you guys has been incredible. And just shout out to everybody that we've met um, the last couple of weeks and people who've been joining our show, people we've met in New York. Thank you guys for your support. And also I want to say we had a, a Twitter user that you know tweeted out that they saw us at the G1 and were afraid to say hi to us. If you see us at any wrestling show, heck, if we haven't haven't run to us in public anywhere, please come and say hi with us and hang out with us. We are just two dudes that love New Japan. There's no need to be nervous or afraid. You can ask any of our other listeners that chill with us. We're totally chill dudes. Come out and hang with us. Do not be afraid to say hi to us. Once again, thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening. If, if you're really that nervous, just buy us a drink. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So next week, we'll be back to review nights two through four of the G1 Climax. And like Josh mentioned, since we got that Monday show, we'll be reporting on Tuesday afternoon. Tr- drop the show late Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. So keep that noted. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan. On Facebook, we're Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. You can also join us in the Wrestling Squared Circle Facebook group, Facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio with Rich Latta and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling, Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Thursdays, we have NXT Then, Now, and Forever. On Fridays, we have Get in the Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturday, we have All Things Elite with Floyd Johnson Jr. and Amy O. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and review, and we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace and media credentialed 
Podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.